Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We talked uh, prior to Christmas, Craig and I, about, uh, you know, there was really no feeling, I think, from either side that we were concerned we weren't going to get something done. We talked to Christmas and said it's probably the right time to start the discussions. And uh, I started to talk to Craig's representative, Steve Mountain, who did a great job. And uh, we just sort of talked on and off. And then we thought at this this uh, Olympic break or all-star break, I guess, now was uh, the, the proper time to see if we get it finished, and we were able to do that. That was Doug Armstrong earlier today talking about getting the deal done with Craig Berube, a three-year contract extension with Berube. We will be able to speak to the president of hockey operations for the Blues, Doug Armstrong, coming up here in about 15 minutes. So be sure to stay in your car, stay by your phone, by the app, 101 ESPN app. It is free to download. You'll get some rewards if you're able to listen to that regularly. So be sure to stay tuned for the next 15 minutes. We've got Doug Armstrong joining us on BK and Ferrario coming up in 15 minutes. Alex, that's the big news today. That's what we're going to be speaking about for the majority of the day today. It's the right call. And we mentioned this yesterday. I said with Tanner, I was surprised that the deal had not been announced yet. It finally is now announced. What was your reaction yesterday when you saw for the first time Craig Berube going to be the Blues next or be the Blues head coach for at least the next three years? Well, my first reaction when I saw it was to uh, text you and say thank you. Okay. Because you're a big reason that this got done. I, I wouldn't give me that much credit, but I appreciate it. T-Bone, you were a part of this as well. And for people listening, thank wondering you, why, why would we give BK credit for Craig Berube's contract extension? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the BKO struck again. I'm not expecting an extension at this point until after the season has concluded. And I'm talking after it is the finale, whether that means they win the Stanley Cup, lose the Stanley Cup or lose somewhere in between now and then. I don't think you're going to see a Berube in-season extension because I don't think that's the way that the Blues operate. And, ladies, and certainly I don't think that's the way Craig Berube is going to operate. And ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly how the Blues and Craig Berube operated. A three-year contract extension. To be go, fair. BK. Way to go, BK. Can I, can I defend myself for hey, a moment? No, can you put it into the atmosphere that the Blues are, yeah. going, are not going to acquire a top defenseman to play with Colton Pareko by the trade deadline? Yeah, there, there's no chance the Blues are able to acquire Mark Giordano. That's 100%. No, no way. All right, can defend say, yourself. Can we say Chikrin instead? No, we no, no. We oh. want Giordano. We're done with that. So, defend yourself, sir. To defend myself a bit, the reason why I said that is because if they didn't announce it yesterday, which at that point they hadn't, I didn't think they were just going to randomly do so in the middle of the season. That feels completely opposed to everything that Craig Berube stands for. Berube is, even today at the press conference, you could tell, all Berube was thinking about is, how are we beating the Devils tonight? 
What is it going to look like when we get on the on the ice for morning skate in whatever, 30 minutes at that point in time? Like, that's the only thing he cared about. And that was at the press conference announcing his contract <laughs> extension. So I'm not really of the opinion that Craig Berube was interested in negotiating while the games were taking place. I do think if this was not announced before tonight's game, it would have taken place after the year. What I miscalculated was, oh, it could always come at four o'clock on the day that I made those statements. So I was clearly, obviously, very wrong, but it was was made in good faith. Well, and look, I mean, it, it came Somebody out during... Said, BK, can you please tell me that I'm not going to win the lottery? That'd be oh, awesome, tell me too, that by too. the way. I'll take that if you don't mind. You're going to throw that out there. Look, it came out in the media availability that this conversation started up around Christmas time, and... Um, I was I, I'm a little surprised so you're saying it started in the last time when there was a little bit of a pause. Okay, that's interesting. The holiday break. Are you still trying to defend yourself here? I think I was right. Oh, okay. <laughs> it yeah, well, up keep, keep trying to spin that thread there, uh, BK. See if you can get it. But look, I mean, these these are one of. The, I'm a little surprised it went all the way up until the game day to make this announcement because I mean it, it seems like they were both under the same impression that they wanted to get this deal done and. I mean, I would imagine it's not that difficult to make these conversations and make an agreement that you want to keep Craig Berube around. But whatever it may be, you locked him up and you got it done right before game day, which I think is important because you want you, you don't want to have that uncertainty. And I think that was the biggest factor into why this decision came today. You didn't want to have to keep answering the question. Why isn't Craig Berube locked up? Is he going to go to Philadelphia in the end of this season? Because the Blues didn't resign him. Is Jim Montgomery going to be the head coach? Because he's coached before. You you wiped out all of those questions. You wiped out all of the wonderment that's going to go around this team. And now you can just focus on the rest of the regular season and the postseason. And to me, I think it also shores up the conversation. And I know you guys talked about it yesterday. You're not the only ones. Everyone was saying that. Ruby's going to have to have some success in this postseason if he wants to get that extension. And I don't think that matters anymore because you want to keep the guy who has had success in his first three, four years with this team. Yeah, and I mean, that was like the one stain, if you even want to call it that. I mean, the guy's won a Stanley Cup. If you want to say that was the one stain that was holding up the negotiations of, oh, maybe that's why the Blues are waiting. They, get, they want to see some playoff success. I mean, he won the first and only Stanley Cup in franchise history. So it was hard to even use that as it. I think it was just a process and a matter of time before they got it done. To be fair, I was along the same lines as BK yesterday, thinking if I, we hadn't heard it by the time we were on the air, we weren't going to hear it. And then we heard it last yesterday. So I think it's a great deal by the St. Louis Blues. Glad to see them get it locked up so we don't have to worry about it. And honestly, most of the things that were internal for Doug Armstrong to take care of heading into the offseason have pretty much been taken care of. The only one that remains is probably David Prawn, unless there's someone else that I'm forgetting of. Billy, oh, who's Vladimir Tarasenko's yeah. situation. There, there's oh, still a few well, okay. things on his checklist. His small, smaller things on his checklist are accomplished. Speaking of checklist, there was nothing left for Craig Berube to answer. He checks every box you would want from your head coach i went through earlier today alex what are the things that i want from my head coach in the nhl the biggest thing and this is really hard to do i want a coach that uh, a coach that sets the culture and the vision for the team i want him to be the public face for what my hockey team is going to be all about well that is absolutely a check for craig burby I want a coach that's going to help develop my young players and will not be a hindrance to those players developing at the NHL level because that's something you have to do now. The development does not stop in the AHL. Once you get up, you see a guy like Mikola or Perunovic or Thomas and Kairou and Barbie. These guys continue to improve at the NHL level, and that is in part because of the staff that is in place here. Craig Berube, 
check that box, even though I don't know that that was necessarily his forte back when he was a coach the last time around. This time, absolutely is, and I think going back to the AHL was a big part in that development for him as a coach as well. In-game decisions, check. I think he's very good with those. Ego management. Maybe the best thing that Craig Berube does is find a way to check the egos at the door. You look at a guy like Alex Steen, that's the one that we always point back to, but even this year with which what we're seeing with Braden Shin, he's willing to play on the wing. Braden he's willing Shin, to play center. David Perron, Oscar Sundquist still, Tyler, Tyler Bozak. I mean, he, he is excellent at telling people, hey, the players, this is going to be your role. Here's what we need from you. Here's why it is important for you to play that role. He doesn't minimize what those guys are going to do. For example, David Perron, great one. As a third-line player, no, you're not going to be seeing the same amount of ice time that you were when you were with Ryan O'Reilly. But it is still a hugely critical piece to us winning a Stanley Cup for you to have success on this line. Other few things. Handling difficult situations. My mind immediately goes to uh, the hand pass. But I think this year he's handling a difficult situation with Jordan Bennington and making sure that he's riding the hot hand in, in net. Uh, working well with others, specifically thinking about management. We saw on the Major League Baseball side of things, that doesn't always happen. Even when we think publicly that they have a good relationship together, Baruby and Army made note of it multiple times today. Their relationship has developed over the last few years since Baruby was named the head coach. Winning in the playoffs, check mark for him. And then the final thing, managing a team for a full 82-game schedule. That is totally different than getting the most out of them in the postseason. Every question that I have about an NHL head coach, Craig Berube has answered. So that's why yesterday when we were talking about this, Tanner, I said I would have got this done. I think this is the right move for the Blues at this time, and I'm glad to see that they finally were able to do so. Yeah, it's so rare to have a coach who meshes with a team and the message doesn't get stale because we see it in the NHL where messages get stale really fast and you lose a team. And when you lose a team, there's no competing. Regardless of how much talent you have, if you lose your top players, there's no way that you can win a Stanley Cup. But what he has done, which has been remarkable, is, is he's had to handle tough situations. And that's the biggest thing for me. The Vladimir Tarasenko situation, you know, the Alex Petrangelo leaving via free agency and bringing in a Tory Krug and making the trade for Justin Falk and Colton Pareko struggle and the goaltending. You can go down the list of all of these things, but he's found a way to manage all of that and keep the spirits high within a locker room. And they buy into what he's saying. Like it's not coach speak where he says something and then the players do their own thing. If he calls out a player or if he calls out a game where he says the team wasn't any good, they respond the day after that. Look at the Calgary Flames 7-1 loss. Talked about how they were awful. What did they do? They came out and they eliminated Calgary in the next game. That's where the message is still strong. And I just saw this because around the NHL today, Edmonton just fired their head coach, Dave Tippett. And you want to know how this thing is going in the NHL? Connor McDavid has been in the NHL for seven years. Best player in the world right now. He's had four head coaches. New, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who is a part of that Edmonton Oilers team, I think he was a former first overall pick or a top three. He's had 12 coaches in 11 years. It is very difficult to find a head coach who buys into a team, who a team buys into, and he stays here for the longevity of it. And now with this three-year contract extension, you're talking about seven years of Craig Berube with an evolving roster where you've moved away from Alex Petrangelo and Jay Bomeister into Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas and Braden Shem. That's because Craig Berube's message never gets stale in that locker room. And that's the only thing that honestly surprises me. Like, I... I... 
maybe I just misinterpreted who he was as a coach when he was first hired here in St. Louis. I didn't think he would have staying power. I'll just full disclosure. I thought he would be a guy that maybe you could get through three or four years, but I thought it would be kind of like Hitchcock, where you know there is a time limit to what he is doing as a coach. Eventually, his message is going to grow stale. And guys are going to tune him out. And unless you have the right leaders within that locker room, which the Blues did for a while, unless you have the right leaders, you're going to have to fire him. And he knew that. Hitch would say it publicly. He's like, hey, there's an expiration date on my style of coaching. I thought that would also be the case for Craig Berube. It has not. It's the opposite. He is one of the very few coaches that actually has staying power. Right now, I was stunned to see this earlier today. He is the eighth longest tenured coach in the NHL. Think about that, Alex. He's been the Blues coach for three and a half years, and he's the eighth longest tenured coach in the league. The only teams that have a coach that's been in place longer are the Lightning, the Red Wings, which is a bit surprising, the Penguins, the Avs, the Bruins, the Hurricanes, the Islanders. There's your model of consistency. These are the teams that everybody's trying to be like. How do you do it? Well, you find the right guy to be your head coach, the right guy to lead that vision, to lead that culture. And when you have him, don't let him go. Don't let him go anywhere else. And the Blues were able to do exactly that yesterday by signing Craig Berube to a three-year extension. I didn't think he would have this kind of longevity, but it's it's honestly a, a credit to him and the way that he has developed as a head coach to say that he absolutely does. Yeah, real quick, because I know we got to get to Doug Armstrong, but I'll say this, you know, Berube's coaching style is different from Ken Hitchcock and, you know, John Tortorella, because those guys, those guys went the, the lay into the players heavily and hardcore coaching where if you're not playing, you're going to tick them off. Berube has that, but Berube also has a connection with the players. And when you've played over a thousand games in the NHL as an enforcer, you're a locker room guy. You know how to manage a locker room. You know how to build those relationships with the players. You know when to push the buttons and when not to push the buttons. And from Ken Hitchcock's perspective, I don't know if he had that. I think you always pushed the buttons and then you lost the message. Craig Berube knows when to push them and when to take a step away and let the team handle it. We're going to talk about the extension with Joey Vitale, our Blues analyst for 101 ESPN coming up at at 1215 but we continue this discussion with the head of the blues hockey operations doug armstrong blues general manager president of hockey operations army joins us next on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Turn to the ice tonight when they take on the New Jersey Devils. 7 o'clock puck drop with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. I've got your pregame starting at 6 o'clock here on 101 ESPN with Brandon Kiley and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. If you heard the news earlier today, Craig Berube extended for three years as the St. Louis Blues head coach. And to talk about that news, we welcome in the president of hockey operations and general manager for the St. Louis Blues. He is Doug Armstrong, and he joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Doug, how are you today, sir? I'm very good at yourself doing fantastic. Well, let's just start with, uh, I'm sure this is nice to uh, check off the list and probably have to stop answering the questions of when Craig Berube is going to get extended now that this is done. And he is here for three more years. Yeah, certainly nice to have it behind us. It, it really wasn't uh, consuming Craig or I, but it, it was becoming uh, people from the outside uh, questioning what was happening. So it was nice to get it uh, 
pen to paper, get them done, and now we can just focus on uh, the second half of the season. And Doug, you mentioned in the media availability earlier today, his press conference, that this conversation started up at Christmas time. So this seems like something that you both knew it was going to get done. It was just a matter of time and a matter of an opportunity to sit down and, and hash out the what you needed to. Exactly. And I, you know, we had the Christmas break and, and we made some good headway. And then, you know, this uh, uh, all-star break gave us quite a bit of time and uh, working with his representative, uh, Steve Mountain, uh, it, you know, when, when, we, when we got to really talking, it didn't take that long for either side to realize uh, what was, the, was the, the right term and right money and uh, get, get it behind us. Doug, how have you seen Craig Berube evolve since the moment that he was named the interim head coach of the Blues? I think that that was sort of a whirlwind uh, second half of the season in, in 2019, uh, you know, but he didn't, you know, putting his stamp on it, the next training camp, and he's had a couple of training camps since then, um, you know, doing a, doing a really good job of, of, of sort of continuing to build the foundation uh, for his, his resume and, and the way we want to play. And I, I just think, you know, he's, he's very comfortable now uh, with, uh, with our management group Um you know, you don't. Uh, we didn't have a lot of uh, communication. Uh, most of your communication matters with the head coach, and so when when he took over, we were uh, um, just sort of trying to, <laughs> to 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 write the ship at that point. But I really enjoyed working with him. I think he's done a really good job of of keeping the veteran players hungry and also uh, giving a chance for our younger players an opportunity to have success. Doug, when we were talking about this in our open today, we talked about the longevity that Craig Berube has had already. And it's kind of weird to say that because he's only been here for a few years. But you look around the NHL, there are only seven coaches that have been with their teams longer than Craig Berube has been here in St. Louis. What do you think it is about Berube and about really NHL head coaches in general that have that longevity? What allows them to sustain? Is there any is there any through line in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's communication skills with with the players. Uh, I think that you also have to have players that want to be coached, and we're fortunate to have a really strong leadership group uh, right now uh, that that can deliver the message. They also understand, uh, you know, if you're in your late twenties, early thirties, you're in a window, uh, your career's you know at its prime, or or certainly heading towards the back nine. You want to win, and I think we provided. Uh, the, the feeling that we have a, a team that can compete and Craig does a great job of keeping that at the forefront of what we're doing every day. Again, we're talking with Doug Armstrong, Blues president of hockey operations and general manager for the St. Louis Blues after the Blues extend Craig Berube's contract as the head coach. Doug, during your tenure as GM and president of hockey operations, you've only had to fire two coaches. And Ken Hinch, Ken Hitchcock's longevity, of course, is well known. A short stint with Mike Yo, and then it transitions into Craig Berube in that 2018-2019 season. You don't see that very often in the National Hockey League. I mean, I just mentioned a little bit ago, Dave Tippett, who was just let go from the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins had 12 coaches in 11 years with Edmonton. How difficult is it to find a head coach that meshes well with a team and you know that the longevity is there oh well i think it's it we we believe it's a very important part of our success or our longevity in, in st louis is to, to to have to have continuity uh mr stillman obviously believes that in the management group um i believe it in the coaching group uh and you, you want to have someone that you you share the same vision i think if you share the same vision uh, when you're putting a team together with the coach, that 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 has to be at the forefront. And I've been very fortunate with Ken and, and with Craig, uh, Mike also, but uh, with these guys that have been here a while to share that vision. And uh, I, I just think that 
you know, they say it's easier to change the, you know, one coach to 20 players, but at some point the players have to be held accountable to what's going on also. And I, I think that uh, if they know that the, the coach and the manager are on the same page, that uh, they're probably not going to win those battles, then then it's easier. And so for us, I, I know, I, I, as you said, there's a lot of changing of coaches in, in our sport. and I'm not really sure that's the, the proper way to have success. Doug, one of those visions I would imagine with the Blues mindset is, you know, turning those bre- those draft picks and prospects into NHL-ready players. And that's one thing that Craig Bruby has had a lot of success with. When you look at this team right now, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, and Ivan Barbashev, you know, he coached the American Hockey League for one season. What is it about Craig Berube and his ability to grow those younger players that, that seem so successful? Well, I think that it's, um, you know, young players want, want everything today, and that's just sort of society, and I understand it. But Craig, uh, Craig's been able to, to build a foundation for them. So when, they're, when they get to that point of 22, 23, 24 years old, they, they have staying power. What you don't want to do is put young players in a, in a situation to fail and then, be, and then be surprised when they fail. And uh, I think Craig's done a nice job of bringing these young guys uh, along, and now they become the core part of your team. And I think it just comes with patience and building the foundation. One of those players, Doug, and we're talking to Doug Armstrong, the president of hockey operations for the St. Louis Blues, that has become a member of the core is Colton Pareko. And I know you've made comments about him. I read what you said to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch the other day comparing his season and really who he has become as a player to the situation that Jay Bomeister was in previously. Can you expand on that a little bit for our audience? How do you view where Colton Pareko is right now in his career and specifically the situation that you guys have placed him into? Yeah, he's a, he's a primary defender for us. He plays against the other team's top lines. Uh, lots of D-zone face-offs. Uh, uh, you know, the reality is to produce uh, to produce offense in the NHL, you have to play on the power play, and Colton doesn't do that. So the, the numbers aren't going to be there. The five-on-five scoring for defensemen isn't, isn't great. Uh, you look at the guys, the top scorers, they're, they're, getting, they're getting lots of stuff on the power play. And that was a little bit like uh, Jay Bowmeister was here. He was, he was asked to defend uh, against the other team's top players to close games out for us. And, uh, you know, so it, the, the offensive numbers, uh, um, that's not that's not how I judge Colton right now. Uh, now, if he gets back on the power play, then then that changes the script on how you judge him. But right now, it's, it's more defending, playing against other team top players, and uh, I think he does a good job at that. When you look at that, Doug, and you look at who he's paired with defensively, what does an ideal partner look like for Colton Pareko? Uh, well, it can be a couple of different ways. Right now, obviously, we, we have uh, a Mikola playing with them, and those are two big bodies that can kill plays down low. Uh, but you can also see uh, success with a smaller player, a skater that can 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 make plays. Uh, you know, he could have the you know in a shutdown pair with with Mikola or Scandella, or uh, you know he could, he's a great skater, and I could see him playing with Krug over over the next few years too. So I I think he's multi dimensional on how how he can play, and I think a lot of his situation driven on on where you need do you need offense do you need to shut games down. Um, you know, he, he can provide both of that force. Doug, one player that uh, Blues fans and, and now hockey fans are talking about is Jordan Cairo, who, who was a point-per-game player in the first portion of the season. Then he goes to Vegas for the All-Star Weekend and wins the fastest skater competition, scores five points in those uh, All-Star three-on-three uh, competitions. What is it about Jordan Cairo's growth that has surprised you most? Uh, I've got to say I'm not really that surprised by it. I mean, he was a top... He was a top uh, player in junior hockey he was a top player in the world junior team it's just 
getting that foundation and, and, and getting the opportunity. And, and that's what he has now. He's always been a great skater. He's always had great hands. Uh, now he, he plays, uh, he plays in situations where, where he can exploit that. And I think one of the benefits uh, for pretty well, all of our forward right now is a, uh, um, we're not really defined as a one, two, three line. I think uh, all three of our scoring lines are about the same. And so you're going to get good matchups on different nights and whether it's Vladdy or whether it's uh, uh sod or whether it's uh Cairo, you know, you get, sometimes you're not, you're not going against us. We talked about the Prankos, like the one shutdown guy. And I think he's done a really good job of uh, exploiting the opportunities that, that uh, have been provided. Army, what is your biggest question that you have? Like, what do you want to learn about your team in the second half of the season and specifically before the trade deadline? Uh, I would say that, you know, watching games last night, you or the other night I saw Winnipeg and Minnesota play. It was a very heavy game. I thought Nashville came in here and they play a very heavy game. Uh, you know, I think we're going to have to be prepared to play heavy games. And, and when you score a lot, you, you sometimes get away from, from that uh, grinding out heavy game hockey. And I think that's going to that's gonna come to the forefront as, as the season progresses and you get into the playoffs. And uh, I, I like some of the size we have uh, in, in our group right now when you have a, a player like Brown, who's, who's not a physical player, more skilled, but he is a big frame. And then we have Joshua up here and Sunquist and Costin. And uh, I think we're going to have to play those, those heavy teams. And I'm looking forward to seeing if we can make a fourth line or make, make a, a three forwards uh, that can – go out there and, and really grind teams down. Doug, final one from me, and this kind of goes back to the Craig Berube extension, and as always, we appreciate your time joining us here on 101 ESPN, but you mentioned three years ago about the five-year Stanley Cup window and it being open for this team. Do you feel like that that window extends now with Craig Berube locked up for three more years? I do, and, and quite honestly, I think it's, it's extended right now because of Thomas and Cairo. I think that, uh, you know, when when you have players... Uh, in their in their early twenties or what are they twenty two twenty three twenty three twenty four uh, you can, you you see a vision now of these guys being good players for the, probably the next five or six years and then Buchnevich is in that age group too so we've been able to add some players I think that that can keep us competitive today but also. Um, I really like the, the the future of this team. Now we have to get it done too. It's, it's one thing to talk about it, and and probably every organization thinks they got really good young players. Uh, so the reality is these guys have to get it done. But we're a little bit ahead of the curve because we're seeing two players right now that are getting it done. And uh, I'm excited about Pernovich. I'm excited about Neighbors. I'm excited about. Uh, uh, Bull Duke, but these guys are, are a long way away from being what where Thomas and Cairo are. But that, that's why I think that window, you know, whether it's a championship window or, or a highly competitive window, I think I think it's extended because of what we're seeing Thomas and Cairo do. Army, final question. We'll get you out of here on this one. You guys were able to get a lot of business done this week with a few extensions and then certainly with a crescendo of the announcement that Craig Berube will be the head coach for the next three years. Is it fair to say that for the rest of the regular season at a minimum, that stuff's going to be put on the back burner, the extensions, the contract talks, and then anything else that will be done will likely take place in the offseason? Yeah, that's usually the way the way it happens. I mean, we, we want to take advantage of the window that we had. Uh, but, it, you know, with, with any player, it only takes one phone call to, to spark an idea and get a contract done. Uh, so we're not against signing guys. It's, you know, 
today's athletes they can multitask they can they can add add numbers together and play hockey so if, if the contracts come up and it works oh we'll get it done but again it's nothing that we're we're concerned about doing at this point well doug we're looking forward to uh, getting the guys back on the ice tonight against the new jersey devils again seven o'clock puck drop with curbs and joey here on 101 and i've got your pregame starting at six as always doug we appreciate your time hopping on with us this morning have a great rest of your day and we'll see you at the rink tonight Guys, thanks a lot for having me on, and we'll see you tonight. There you go. Doug Armstrong, president of Hockey Operations and general manager uh, for the St. Louis Blues. And and BK, the one that really stuck out to me was his comments on the cup window opening or staying open even longer. And I think that's – T-Bone and I had this conversation about going all in at the trade deadline, and that's part of the reason why I'm so hesitant to do that because of the guys that they have right now and the guys that they have in the system. If you have a head coach in Craig Berube now locked up for three years and you know his potential of growing the talent, you wonder if if having those assets gives you an opportunity with this core pretty much locked up for the next three years to continue to find ways to win and be very competitive. Yeah, now it's becoming a sustained winner, right? I I know for a lot of people, they looked at the Blues and they said, okay, that's the model for the Cardinals, but it's almost the opposite that's taking place right now. Like the Cardinals, the way that they've been able to consistently win is by doing what the Blues have just done. They have developed the Kairos and the Thomases and the Barbies and the Sunnies, those types of players. The Cardinals have been doing that for 20 years now. And that's the way that you go from basically 2001 all the way to where we are today of being a consistent winner. The Blues are doing the same thing now. You look at the contract situations with O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Those guys are up after next year. For a lot of teams, that would be a terrifying existence, knowing that two of your best players are potentially not going to be on the roster after next season. For the Blues, it's like, okay, let's kind of see how this goes. It, it might be a good thing that the, those guys are moving on. We open up those two salary slots, and then you can just basically fill those spots with Kairu and Thomas because that's going to be our next top center and top right winger. So the Blues are in a really good situation right now, in part because of who their head coach is, in part because they have been able to develop the next wave of talent internally. And Doug Armstrong has done a really good job of being able to identify and then develop from within those guys that you need to add. And by the way, the other part of this that is really important, and I do think this is where the Cardinals do sometimes fall short, he didn't go out there this offseason and only add Pavel Buchnevich. He didn't go out there this offseason and only add Brandon Saad. He did both. The Cardinals, it feels like they've got a pop gun offseason every year. They go out and make one big move, and then it's over. And that's it. And, and they don't add anything else. And then it feels like they're one move away one move away from really being a contender like this offseason imagine Alex if they added that big bat if they added a Nelson Cruz or a Kyle Kyle Schwarber whoever your guy is that would be what the Blues did this offseason with Pavel Buchnevich and Brandon Saad and I think that's why Barubi and Army have such a good working relationship because they both know they're working towards the same goals and I don't know that that's necessarily the case for a lot of other teams across the NHL. Yeah and it's just the pulse of a team and and I think that goes into a statement of longevity and uh, continuity with Tom Stillman and being important to have people who have been in here. That's the difference when you have an Edmonton Oilers where you're bringing people in nonstop and you can't get any longevity or continuity with a team. Doug Armstrong, Craig Bruby, they've had the pulse of this team at least together for the last three years. And now you're adding it for three more years where you know what you want to accomplish and you just need to go out there and add the right pieces. There was one other thing that Doug Armstrong said in that interview that I think is noteworthy. And I think it might come into play as the Blues start going up against some of the heavier teams on their schedule. Tell you what that is. Let you hear his answer that on the other side coming up here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed it, we just had Doug Armstrong, the Blues president of hockey operations and general manager on the show. I thought he was really good. He was open and enlightening to some of the questions that we were able to ask. If you missed any of that, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com or the 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, there were a couple of things that stood out in our conversation with Army. One of them, though, that I do think will potentially be in play for the rest of the regular season. And certainly once this team gets into the postseason, was his comment about the fourth line. I thought this was really interesting. Here's what Doug Armstrong had to say about the blues needing to play a heavier style. You know, I think we're going to have to be prepared to play heavy games. And, and when you score a lot, you, you sometimes get away from, from that uh, grinding out heavy game hockey. And I think that's going to, that's going to come to the forefront as, as the season progresses and you get into the playoffs and, uh, I, I like some of the size we have uh, in, in our group right now. When you have a, a player like Brown, who's, who's not a physical player, more skilled, but he is a big frame. And then we have Joshua up here and Sunquist and Costin. And uh, I think we're going to have to play those, those heavy teams. And I'm looking forward to seeing if we can make a fourth line or make, make a, a three forwards uh, that can go out there and, and really grind teams down. It's really interesting that he said we need to make a fourth line and then specifically mentioned three players that play a little bit more of a heavy physical style. Anything about trading Oscar Sundquist? No, he mentioned Sonny as one of them. Yeah, I thought Sonny's clear now. <laughs> I don't know if this specifically means that the Blues are looking at potentially making moves and changes on their fourth line. But it certainly opens the door for that. Tyler Bozak has not had a great year this year for the Blues, and that is numerically. That's just by watching. Bozak brings a lot to the table. He's a really good leader within that room, and he has value on the ice because the Blues kind of know exactly what he's going to be. He's responsible. He's going to be pretty much the same player every night. I do wonder if there will come a time, especially against the physical teams. Maybe this is matchup-based. It's kind of like platooning in in baseball, right? You go up against a lefty, there's going to be one lineup. You go up against a righty, it's going to be something else. Depending on the matchup, if you're going up against some of these heavier teams, for example, if you're playing against Calgary, does it make more sense for you to have Dakota Joshua and Oscar Sundquist and Logan Brown on your fourth line than it does to have Costin, Bozak, and Sonny out there? I don't know. But I do think that's something that I'm open to seeing. I'm open to maybe that's going to be a a lineup construction that we should see a few times in the regular season. I I was a little surprised to hear that. And I think it does make a lot of sense, honestly. I think if there was a goal for the second half that they wouldn't tell you, but internally what the coaches and Doug Armstrong are looking for is is who's going to step up and take over that fourth line. Because I, I truly believe if you want to win a Stanley Cup, you have to have four lines that you can rely on in any situation. And I don't know how many teams have that in the Western Conference. Like Vegas doesn't. Vegas, and right now, I don't think you could say that about the Blues. Uh, no, so you far. can't. No, you can't because Clint Costin only plays about eight, nine minutes a night. I mean, you got to have a fourth line and not have to rotate. It's four lines that you can trust Colorado doesn't really have that Minnesota does Nashville doesn't so that's where the Blues can take advantage of the central division is to have four lines that you can rely on and we already know your top nine is set it's just trying to figure out and a lot of this resides on getting Oscar Sundquist back to the level that he has been and we all know the injuries that he's gone through he's one that you're going to be focusing on in the second half Clem Costin you got to figure out what Clem Costin is he leads the team in hits he's a great physical player 
but you got to have more than just physicality on that fourth line. You have to create offense. You have to be a pain to play against. And then it does come down to Tyler Bozak. Does Tyler Bozak, he is phenomenal defensively for this team. He plays the penalty kill. That's where Craig Brewery relies on him and faceoffs. But do you look at that and say, Tyler, we need you in certain situations, but let's say when we're taking on a Colorado Avalanche or a Calgary Flames, they like to play fast. We're going to need a little bit more speed on that fourth line and a little bit more physicality. That's where Dakota Joshua comes into play. That's where Logan Brown comes into play. So I think one storyline that will be very fascinating over these final 38 games is what is the identity of that fourth line? Because you have to have one before you start the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I just look at some of the playoff teams that you could potentially be going up against this year, whether it be Nashville or Minnesota or Vegas or Calgary. These teams are physical, man. Yeah. And, and Minnesota go- last night off the faceoff had a, a three-person fight. You go up against those teams with Dakota Joshua and Oscar Sundquist and maybe Logan Brown, who at least has the size that Mm -hmm. you'd like to see back there. I think it changes the way you view that fourth line. And I know they have said, hey, Logan Brown is not a fourth line player. That's not what his future is. He might have to be. I agree with that. I don't think his future is as a fourth line player. I think he should be in your top nine eventually. Fifth best move by Doug Armstrong in the last 10 years. I just don't know if that's where it is right now. Yep. I mean, right now, he sure, if he's not a top nine forward for you, well, he's, he's not in your lineup. Like every Who are you putting him in there over? Shin, O'Reilly, Buchnevich, Tarasenko, Thomas, Kyrou, Saad, Barbie, David Perron. Like, you're not. You're not replacing any of those guys with Logan Brown. But could you replace Clem Costin? Yeah, I, I think Logan Brown is better than Clem Costin, just one for one right now. Could you replace Tyler Bozak with Dakota Joshua? Maybe, maybe that's the way that you should look at it. And it's possible that that ends up being the wrong decision. It's possible that you look back after five games of Dakota Joshua and Logan Brown out there as as your fourth line members. And you say to yourself, ah, actually, we were getting a little bit more out of Costin and Bozak. That's fine. Then you make the switch back. That that is. But that's how Craig Berube runs his team. He runs his team with the fourth line being the tone setter. Remember those playoffs. And I understand people stop comparing it to the playoffs. That's what you're going off of. The last team that won the Stanley Cup. And look at how Tampa Bay won it. They had Pat Maroon playing on a fourth line for them. you got to have a tone setter line. And I think that's what your fourth line's looking for. And the last year, the, the Tampa Bay third line was kind of that to- tone setter for them. It wasn't the fourth line, but it was the third Correct. one. And this, this season, they went out there and they signed Corey Perry to play yeah. with Pat Maroon. And they have um, Pierre-Edouard Belmare, former Vegas Golden Knight, who's another big guy. you got to have a line that can just go out there and create damage and just get teams off of their rocker. And I think what Craig Berube's doing is he is looking for somebody out of those guys that we've just mentioned. He's looking for somebody to take that and say, fourth line is my role. And Clint Costin had start to do that before the end of the before the first half ended. Can you continue that, though? And then you're going to look at Dakota Joshua and say, you've been up and down. You've been riding that RV of going back and forth from Springfield, Mass., you want to stay here? Go out there and show us. And I think if he gets playing time, he's going to take advantage of it. With him. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's good to have the gang back together. If you missed it, the big news today, Craig Burby assigned a three-year contract extension to be the head coach of the Blues. According to Pierre Lebrun, that deal is worth around $3.5 million per season. His current deal was paying him $3 million. So congratulations to Craig Burby on a slight raise. Congratulations to the St. Louis Blues on locking Chief. up one hell of a head coach. Coming up in 15 minutes, We're going to get into how this was able to work. Why were Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong able to stay on the same page when so many coaches and managers in the NHL have not been able to do so? We'll talk about that at the top of the hour, but questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Uh, from the 314, hey guys, did you see what Rob Manfred had to say earlier today? What would you make of him suggesting that the DH is going to be here to stay and, uh, that, yeah! and that they have eliminated draft pick compensation for qual- the qualifying offer? Oh, well, we're making start, progress. Let's start with the DH. Tanner, I know what your opinion is on this. Didn't Rob go back on that later? Let pitchers hit, right, T-Bone? Yeah, amen. Alex, what would you think about would you think about MLB announcing that DA, the DH is going to be here to stay? Okay. No. I, I felt the same way that you felt when Steven Matt signed with the Cardinals. Cool. 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 We, I mean, it, it was expected. Like, that's the one thing. Like, nobody cares about that, Rob. That was going to be agreed upon. That that just needed to be checked off the list at the end of the season or at the end of the, the negotiations. Like, can we stop with this subtle of, ooh, we're making improvements, and look, we've agreed upon the DH. Nobody cares about that. You were going to agree upon that. Like, let's just get into the nitty-gritty of this and find a way to solve all of these issues. I'll save you the time. Tanner hates it, so we'll move on to the next Let thing. Let pitchers hit. Yeah. I do think that the bigger news story here, though, is that the qualifying offer and the loss of a draft pick is going to go away. That's huge. That is huge for a team like the Cardinals because they did not like giving up that draft pick in response to signing a player that had the qualifying offer. Now, something I don't know, and I'm going to admit my ignorance on this. I don't know if that means that that would take place starting this off season. Like when things are back. So when the lockout is over and they have agreed to whatever the new CBA is, I don't know if that will immediately go into place. So, for example, Trevor Story, he got the qualifying offer from the Rockies. Does that mean whoever signs him this offseason does not have to give the Rockies? I would imagine that you can't do that because, like, you've already gone through that side of things. Like, this would take place next year. I, I would think so, but I'm not positive on that. I don't know because this this agreement would then become the law of the land, so to speak. So, I, I don't know how that works, and that is my own ignorance there, but... If that is the case, if we go down this hypothetical scenario of, hey, the Cardinals sign a player that got the qualifying offer, if they no longer have to give up that draft pick, I do wonder if that opens up some opportunities. And I wonder if that will mean that the the price is a little higher on some of those guys than originally expected, because now you're not also taking into account losing that draft pick. So I think that's that's probably the more significant news story today. If it were to happen this year, then it becomes even more interesting because there could be guys that are looking for those one-year deals, especially with Rob Manford saying, hey, once this gets done, we expect a week, a week yeah. before spring training gets going. So Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, all those other big free agents that have that qualifying offer on them, I, I'm with Alex. I expect it's probably going to hold up at least this year. I would think so. But if it doesn't, Trevor Story, one-year deal. Ah, T-Ball's a little speculating. Kyle here. Schwarber. Oh, that's a good one. 65780 is the error comfort service text line for (laughs) questions and answers. Uh, Let's get to this one from the 636. Which is more likely, Bruby gets fired during his contract extension or he gets another extension at the end of this new contract? He gets another extension at the end of this new contract. I don't think the Blues are going to go through 
like a super downward spiral. You heard Doug say to us too, like, I mean, he just doesn't agree with firing coaches. And I mean, look how long it took him to fire Ken Hitchcock, Mike. Yo, I I think you kind of, the writing was on the wall with Mike. Yo, because you had Craig Berube as the associate head coach, but he, he just doesn't fire head coaches. So it is way more likely that he gets another extension because his next core is already on the team. His next core is Thomas and Cairo, and they're already learning underneath Craig Berube. So I think you could see a, a long tenure with Craig Berube here in St. Louis. Yeah, I think it's more likely that he would have another contract extension. I mean, you mentioned it because of just Army doesn't fire coaches. This is only his third coach in the Doug Armstrong era. The other one for me is Army. You mentioned the young core. Army said it to us. He said, I actually think our window, our our cup window yeah. is extended because we have that young core in Thomas and Cairo yeah. and they're going to allow this team to, he mentioned it, maybe, maybe it's not Stanley Cup, but it's going to be at least competitive. I don't see Brewery being fired in this deal. In fact, I could easily How see him get another too? contract. He's, 50? he's 56 years old. Yeah, like, say. I mean, this guy's, this guy's got a lot more life in him in terms of running a, a locker room. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey guys, do you think that James Harden's going to end up on the 76ers? And how do you feel about a guy forcing his way out of two teams in two years? If I'm the 76ers, I don't want him because of that reason right there. I think I understand he's one of the best pure shooters in the game and he he changes the outcome of, of a game. But like, I'm just under the assumption, like you don't want to bring a bad presence into a locker room. And I know they're kind of already have one with Ben Simmons, but like, at least he's not even there. Yeah. But I mean, you have such, you have one of the top players in the game in terms of Joel and B. Why would you want to mucky up that or murk up that water with a James Harden? So I, I, if he goes there, great, but I just, I think that's going to hurt the 76ers more than it's going to help them. James Harden's a losing player. Yeah. Like he, he's just, he's, he's not a winner. Is he, and, is he miserable? Yes. I, yeah. I said that yesterday. Like I, I don't understand what James Harden wants. James Harden was in Houston where they put everything in place. They did everything for him to be James Harden's way. How do you want to play James? Oh, you want everybody to be spaced out and you want a rim running center and you want to just lob things up to him and you want to play ISO ball and then you can either drive or kick it out cool we'll put our entire formula in place for you to be able to play that way that wasn't enough for him james who do you want the next head coach to be i want it to be this guy nope not enough for him james who do you want to play with who are the guys that you want us to go out and acquire chris paul. Uh, you don't want chris paul anymore okay we'll go we'll go get russell westbrook oh you don't want russell westbrook anymore okay we'll we'll trade that contract we'll the for, worst contract for john basketball. wall everything he wanted they were willing to do and he played in a city that he allegedly loved now he wanted to go to Brooklyn to play with his friends, right? Hey, I want to play on a team Next that's going to win a whole three. lot of games. It's going to be great. Can't be a big three when one of the three doesn't only plays some road games. And KD's been hurt. And so now you project forward and you're like, okay, James, what do you want, what man? What are you doing here? What, what exactly is it that's going to make you happy playing basketball? I've got a bold prediction here. I don't think he's going to love playing basketball with Joel Embiid, who's going to muck things up on the interior and is not going to allow James Harden to play the way that he typically does. So I, I don't know, man. If I'm the 76ers, I'm not making that deal. I understand James Harden is a fantastic basketball player. 
I don't think it's a great fit. And I certainly don't love the personality types with him and Embiid being in the same locker room. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't mind making the deal because I do think he makes them the best in the East if they go and acquire him. But it probably would be a one and done for me because he's a free agent at the end of the year. If it goes well, then maybe you can talk about bringing him back. He has the connection with the, uh, is it Maury? Is that his name? Yeah, Daryl Maury. Yeah, who's now with the Philadelphia 76ers, was there in Houston with him at a time. I think they become the best in the Eastern Conference. They're able to move on from Ben Simmons in the package, it sounds like. But if it doesn't work out, it's only it's only what a couple months rental, and then you can just say, okay, we're not going to bring him back. He can go test free agency. I, I would, I would wage a bet that if it was a one for one Harden for Simmons, Brooklyn would be more successful with Simmons and those two than Harden would be with I don't Joel so. Embiid. I, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Ben Simmons' game. I mean, you can it's easy it, to guard him. If it's a big if. Kyrie Irving, Irving is able to play both home and road games, and KD is healthy. I would take the Nets in that scenario over the Sixers. That's a, yeah. You got to have all with three of Simmons them. Or w- with, with Simmons or without? With Simmons, oh. with Simmons Kyrie, and, and KD, I would take that Nets roster over what you currently have with the Sixers Agreed. and then add James Harden. The only reason I would take that ro- the Nets roster is I would just take it because of Kyrie and KD. Because like if they didn't have... I like, think Ben Simmons is exactly what they if need. You're the 70, they don't have yeah, a perimeter I, defender. If you're the 76ers, I why, are you gonna go, ben. why are you going to go give up assets for a James Harden? When you go get Damian Lillard, who's a better player? They're not going to make I don't know that. Yeah, like. that's the thing with Lillard. Um, is, I mean, is he available? If he's available, I don't know then why yeah, the hell he Lillard. would want to still be there. I mean, why wouldn't you demand the hell out of there after they're trading I, everyone? He's he's built different. I, I don't know, man. I, mean, God I, bless I would him want out as well. I, I would man. not want to be a part of that after they just traded CJ McCollum. And that's, that's another conversation for another day. But yeah. um, I, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If I was anybody in Sacramento right now, I would want out of that situation as well. Steal from the Pacers. Yeah, Let's go. Baffling to me. Some <laughs> of the deals that have been done so far in the NBA are uh, are less than ideal. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, joins the show coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong are finally on the same page. That didn't feel like it was the case last year. That has changed this year. We'll tell you how coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I, I'm over here just fuming. I, I'm so mad. It's because you're trying to trade Barbie Manfred. again. We'll get into that coming up at 1230. He's trying to trade Barbie again? Yeah, and Sonny. I just don't understand why the owners are trying to lie to us. Don't don't treat me like I'm five years old. I understand PK. that it's a good business idea PK, P- to get involved in being an owner in pro in baseball. sports. They eh. don't lie in pro sports. Well, Rob Manfred is try is, and be like an optimist like Rob Manfred lying through his teeth. He, he's an optimist about them getting back onto the field, but he's not an optimist about the fact that it's a good investment to buy a team, which, by the way, he represents them. So if it's a bad investment to be an owner of a baseball team, why does Rob Manfred have a job? Hey, shouldn't hey, they, he's, just, he's just trying to live hey, longer. Hey, Everybody should be selling right you i don't see a whole lot of teams hall, coming buddy. open for sale you need to go take a walk okay yeah. you need to go take a walk <sighs> like a five-year-old doing that. okay yeah. get all so, <laughs> <laughs> that was well done sir get out of here something i'm not upset about is the fact that craig baruby has a contract extension just as i said what happened yesterday right here on this very show what? do you need me to play the audio again doug armstrong and craig baruby share the same vision and army talked about that earlier today you certainly don't want to have a vision as a manager and a coach not share that vision. And probably you don't want to be a coach that doesn't have the same vision as your manager. Uh, and I think that um, Craig and I view hockey the same way. We view the type of uh, 
players that you need to have success. And uh, so I would say that's what I mean by that, uh, JR. And this was something that they both discussed in the off season of making sure that they were on the same page. I mean, I remember specifically Doug Armstrong was on the air with our press conference that he held at the end of the season. And he talked about how we need to decide myself, the coaching staff, who we are as a team. And that was the identity crisis that we talked so much about last year. Who is this team? Are they still trying to be the physical team? Are they trying to buy into their speed? And I think what took place this offseason was they met in the middle because there's still a physical presence on this team. Braden Shan, Robert Portuzo, you just locked them up for two more years. You need those guys. Doug Armstrong even just talked about having to get more physical on the fourth line for you to make a playoff run. But you also have to buy into your strengths. And your strengths right now is offense and it's speed and it's skills. And that's what they did this offseason by saying, let's go out there. Let's move on from the physical brand of Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford to the skills of Pavel Buchnevich and Brandon Saad. I think it's important. And this is where the success comes into play for this team and why I believe that window's open still. Because you have your coach and your general manager on the exact same wavelength about this roster construction. I love that you said they met in the middle. Because that's so important. Just like baseball, they should probably find a way to meet in the middle. It's so important in any of these situations where you've got two people that maybe are not exactly aligned on how they view where the game is today and where it's going, right? And I'm not saying that's the case for Baruby, but it felt that way at times last year with Baruby and Army, where it was like, hey, Army sees this thing going more towards the speed direction, and that's how you ended up with a Mike Kaufman, for example, and it felt like they were trying to jam a square peg into a round hole all year long. I mean, he wasn't even on the top power play unit for how long last year, Alex? Uh, pretty much half the season. <laughs> it, it, it was baffling. Like, that's that's the one value that he brings to your table, or to, to your team, rather, and he, he wasn't contributing in that way. So it, it was weird last year, but it felt like this offseason, they got on the same page. It was like, hey, these are the players that I need. These are the types of players that I think can be winning hockey players for us here in St. Louis. This is not just like you're trying to be the GM for 30 teams, who's the best players. You're the GM for this team, and this is our way of playing, and this is the specific type of player that we need to be able to continue winning. Go out and get Buchnevich, who's been excellent. Everything they could have asked for and then some. They go out and get Brandon Saad when, over the last two years, the number one frustration I think all of us have had is, can somebody please go to the front of the net? Just stand there. I promise you, you're going to get a bunch of goals. And that's where Brandon Todd has gotten all of his goals. Brandon Todd literally stands at the front of the net and puts the puck in just repeatedly. He doesn't even pass the puck. It's literally memory. It's just muscle memory at this point. Go to the front, puck. Go to the front, puck. And it happens regularly for him. So Careful they, with that. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the front, puck. Okay. Just make sure you're enunciating correctly. Done. Um, it, it's been awesome to see, and that took them getting on the same page to be able to get there. Now, I do think there is one question that remains, and that is, okay, so you figured out the identity on the front. We we all love, in particular, their top nine right now. They've they've got guys that are identity players. They've got guys that are really skilled. They've got guys that are somewhere in between. When it comes to their defense, though, there are some questions, especially in terms of the pairing for Colton Pareko. So I asked as we had Doug Armstrong on earlier today, what does the ideal partner look like for Colton Pareko? Because he's not going to tell us, hey, I'm going to go trade for this guy. He's just not going to say that. We tried. But what does it look like at in, in a peak scenario? What does the ideal partner look like for Colton Pareko? Uh, well, it can be a couple of different ways. Right now, obviously, we, we have a, a Mikola playing with them, and those are two big bodies that can kill plays down low. 
but you can also see uh, success with a smaller player, a skater that can 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 make plays. Uh, you know, he could have the you know in a shutdown pair with with Mikel or Scandella, or uh, you know he could, he's a great skater, and I could see him playing with Krug over over the next few years too. So I I think he's multidimensional on how how he can play, and I think a lot of his situation driven on on where you need do you need offense, do you need to shut games down. Um, you know, he, he can provide both of that force. Boy, BK, you love the word platoon in sports, and I think that is exactly what Doug Armstrong just talked about there. You might be looking at platooning a Colton Pareko to where sometimes you're going to have him as your shutdown guy where Nico Mikola comes into play for you, and sometimes you're going to have a, a smaller stature player who jumps up into the rush to have the offense. That's the identity that we just talked about. This team is bought into the identity of speed. That's how we win games. Colton Pareko has that. Now, this might be too much tinfoil for me, but I think what he was talking about there in terms of a smaller stature defenseman to be able to play with Colton Pareko tells me everything about the, the future of Scott Perunovic. I think their hope is to have Scott Perunovic as a top pairing defenseman to play with Colton Pareko. It's just a matter of repetition and getting him some work, which creates a really interesting conversation of what the trade deadline is going to look like. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they're I don't know for sure if it's Perunovic or maybe it's Krug. Yeah. Like, I, I think. Perunovic and Falk played together this season. I, I think that it's at least in play, and I had not really considered this before, to be honest with you, that Perunovic and Krug are your left side top four defensemen, and your top four defensemen on the right side are, as they are right now, Pareko and Falk. And they can mix those up depending on the matchups or depending on the night, whatever it might be. But if that ends up being the case, if that's how they view this, and this is why I was wondering, like, how do they view the future of their top four more so than the, the right now? If they think Perunovic is going to be that guy, it probably means you're trading for a rental. That means that we're going to be starting to look at Giordano even more. And we're going to be looking at other guys, Chara, that are on expiring deals as being the best case scenario for this team. And that doesn't mean they have to fit a specific style. You heard... Uh, you heard Army there say, hey, it could be that big body, could be a guy that is a little bit more sp- uh, smaller in stature and somebody that can really move the puck. They can make it work either way, but it's it's just depending on how, what they believe the best fit to be. So, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting that they might view Perunovic or Krug as possible answers with Pareko. I, I really do. Alex, you can tell me if you disagree with this. I think Giordano is the best case scenario now. Like we we've gone back and forth and back and forth yeah. on w- what the Blues should do at the deadline. I, I I think the answer, if they can make the money work, and that's a big if, is Mark Giordano. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, the rental's the way to go, and Ben Chirot falls into this. I don't think Ben Chirot's the right fit for this team. Pretty much cross off Jacob Chikrin's name on this list because I think it's going to cost too much. So it comes down to a Mark Giordano or a Zdeno Chara, and I think Chara would be a good fit here. It just depends on what your expectation is and what Lou Lamarillo is wanting because I don't think you're going to have a first-round draft pick for a 44-year-old defenseman, and that that might be what he costs if somebody wants him. I think you go to Mark Giordano here because you got the leadership, you have the shutdown mentality, but also a guy who can jump up into the rush with you. He's big, long reach, can play with Colton Pareko, and I think what Mark Giordano would present to this team is an identity that matches what you had in the past in terms of the back end of your team. Also probably makes the play of Bennington and Husso a lot easier. The question is what it's going to cost because you're going to have to have somebody eat half of that salary for you to get him. And also, let's remember, you have Marco Scandella still. And I don't know if you're going to be paying three and a half million dollars for him to be sitting on the bench. So if you could find a way to get Mark Giordano done, that is the best fit. 
It just is going to come down to how much does he cost and who else is trying to get him. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get to my favorite topic. Rob Manfred is a liar. We'll talk about that coming up at 1230. But coming up next, Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Want to get his thoughts on the news of the day. Craig Berube extended for three more years here in St. Louis. Joey joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by the Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. I am back from Disney World. Alex is back from his brief one-day vacation, and we are thanks a lot for that, BK. Happy to be joined by our friend Joey Vitale, who I just missed at Magic Kingdom on Friday out in Disney World. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joey, how you doing today, my man? Joey, Joey, (laughs) Joey. Doing great, doing great. Because yeah, I, I literally just missed you in Disney. You sent the Pirates of the Caribbean shot with the twenty-minute wait. We just left there, and we were on our way to the haunted mansion. So unfortunately, we did miss each other. But how was your trip? It was fantastic. I was unaware of just how much more expensive the trip has become in the last year or so. Uh, Disney does okay, BK's not. BK's rich. They yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's got a Peloton, Joe. I don't know if you know this or they, not. They don't miss out on any opportunities to be able to get you for a dime. <laughs> Oh, man, they they really don't. I mean, uh, now they have this genie thing where it used to just be fast passes. You got away with getting four or five fast passes, but now you got to pay for this fast pass thing. And then they're going to charge you a little bit extra to get on like the seven dwarves. Listen, I got I'm one of seven in my whole family. It cost me like one hundred and forty (laughs) bucks just to do the seven dwarves one. You know, but but the problem is and and they're smart because like, hey, listen. They're gonna exactly. They're gonna come all the way down here. You're gonna spend almost two hundred bucks a ticket. It's like it's like might as well get the extra one. It's like it's like we're already going to Paris. Might as well get the nicest hotel and then have the nicest. We've already spent thousands of dollars. Might as well get us for another hundred or so. But I, I will say, uh, I know we talked about this last week. Uh, my wife will probably kill me for telling the story, but but I, I know that our wives they, they they push it. Alex, we talked about that. They push the envelope. Um, they, they break rules. Uh, it's cutthroat in Disney. You yes. do what you got to do to get on a ride. My wife took it to a whole new standard oh, this I past year. This okay. So as you know, BK, it was some, it was some rainy days. There were some rainy days, which I know a lot of a lot, a lot of newbies to Disney. You two, you two BK, are like, oh my god, it's raining Disney. BS. That's a good thing because <laughs> yes, that's when everybody out. goes away, especially at Epcot. That's the best day to go to the festival. It is. You want to go there when it's raining. I pray for rain when I'm busy. So we're, we're kind of going around the monorail. It's late. We just leave Epcot. We're doing the whole transportation thing. We got to get to our hotel at Bay Lake. One stop before our Bay Lake hotel is Magic Kingdom. My wife looks at me. She goes, I'm going to be the coolest mom in the year. I said, what are you going to do? I'm going to take the three oldest. We're going to go hit Magic Kingdom for another hour before they close. I said, okay, God bless you. Good luck. Have fun, guys. It's raining. It's pouring, but she's fun, mom. She goes. She comes back. The kids are absolutely soaked. And she tells me this whole story. They literally leave Space Mountain at like 9.53. Park shuts down at 10. So you have, you have until 10 to get in line. 
They want to get to Haunted Mansion from Space Mountain. Oh. Now, you guys know. I mean, Alex, for sure you know. That is across the park. I mean, that is literally. You got to book it. <laughs> you got to book it. So she <laughs> ends up booking it with the kids. She makes it with like 30 seconds to go, and then she comes home to tell me that she had, a, she had either a choice where she needed to stop at the restroom to go to the bathroom and relieve herself, or she just battled right through. She literally went in her pants so she could get to the haunted mansion on time to make the final ride. Literally, that is a whole nother savage level of Disney I've never heard of before. That is, well, at least it was raining. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the excuse is, well, my pants are wet from the rain, not from, you know. Five kids will do that to you. Right on out. Hey, yeah. God, Anyone who's been to Disney can appreciate that. God bless her, Joe, because honestly, like, I would imagine my wife would have probably done the same thing. She would have found a way to pick up all of the kids and just said, we're going. And if you don't run, you're going to be left behind. That's it. I mean, honestly, when it comes to Disney, it's, it's good news. It's good times. But when we got a Genie Plus pass and we're in this window, kids, Either, you know, I feel like it's like that Lieutenant Dan scene from Forrest Gump where Forrest, like, has to keep coming back to pick up soldiers. Like, eventually, eventually we're just going to have to leave you behind. Those four soldiers he eventually had to leave behind. He did save seven or eight of them. But, um, you know, after a while, it does come up and haunt you. Well, Joe, I'm sure you're feeling refreshed after that uh, that trip home. And I'm sure these guys have felt refreshed after this week off. How, how much are you looking forward to this second half of hockey with 38 games to go for how tight the Central Division is and for where this Blues team is sitting right now with their roster? Yeah, I'm excited. I think I think this is the, the, the point in the season I think the players needed to get to. I remember my time where, you know, Christmas was a big milestone of the year. You know, I get to Christmas, they always say, and it's always never never quite halfway through the season, but you feel like from the calendar standpoint, especially with camp early in September, it is the halfway point. But then once you're beyond those those 41 games and you are over halfway, which I think the Blues are playing at 45th tonight, I believe, um, you know that the end is coming. You know March 1st. That, to me, is, as, as players, they know this. Uh, that's the next big milestone after Christmas. Get to March 1. Uh, January is a long month. Uh, February was supposed to be a relaxing time with an Olympic break. Unfortunately, it didn't end up that way. So February, although a short month, is a bit more of a grind they have ahead of them. But they're looking to gather sights on March 1st, especially because they're going to be on that long New York trip where they're going to be in the same hotel, believe it or not, in New York for six nights. So that's going to be a great a great time and a great regroup for this team. So get to March 1. That That's number one. And when I say that is because – so much energy gets put into getting to March one and making this final push. I love, I love the way this team is built. I love the health. I love the fact that uh, they've all probably had this, uh, this COVID restraint, a strand rather. And, and, and not to mention the league has done a great job at putting all this kind of behind them in the rear view mirror anyway, where they're just not going to test unless you have to go to Canada. So I don't think we're going to be dealing with a lot of that anymore. Hopefully they can stay healthy throughout this stretch. And I think they will. I think they will is because they have the depth to do it. You know, you look at these teams, you look at March, you look at April, uh, the amount of games is mind-blowing. Do yourself a favor. Go look up the Ottawa Center schedule right now in February. They're playing like five games in seven nights because of all the, all the games they missed. They are playing so many games in February, and they're going to have even more in March and April. Lisa Blue's got a little bit of a gap here, some break, some rest, recovery. But then March and April is going to come around the corner. Like every other team, it's going to be a push, and it's going to be a push to the very end. There's so many games. that The travel can be a bit gruesome for this Blues team. But the depth that they have – the, the, the knowing that they have four lines, that you can have a Barbashev be a hero one night. You may have a Logan Brown be a hero. And then it's going to come the regulars on some nights with the Shen and O'Reilly's and then the Tarasenko's and all of a sudden maybe the two fast young guys and Thomas and Cairo can step up big. Jordan Binnington can see some games. You know, that this team has been known for the last, you know, three seasons as they just find ways to win. It's a different hero every single night. And when you have depth, 
that to me is what makes me excited about this Blues team moving forward with this such condensed schedule over the last couple months of the season. We're talking to Joey Vitale for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Joey, the big news today was the Craig Berube extension, and I did want to ask you about him because uh, we looked this up this morning. There's only seven coaches in the NHL that have been with their teams longer than Craig Berube has been here in St. Louis, and it doesn't feel like Berube's been here all that long, but thus his life as a head coach in the NHL. What is it in your mind that allows for Baruby to have that longevity, that staying power? Because so often we see the voice in that room just seems to lose its power after a year or two. Yeah, no, I think that I think number one, he's had a great staff around him with his, his assistant coaches, and I think that he's been. Um, yeah, I give a lot of credit to Doug Armstrong. I mean, a, a coach is a coach, but if if they don't have the right tools and the right product to put on the ice to to get to to get the wins, that, that's a problem. I think number one is that Army. And, and Chief are very connected. They have the same philosophies. They they want to build teams in the same way, and they want to win in a certain way. And that's not that's not doesn't go for every team in the National Hockey League. You, sometimes you have head coaches who who have a different philosophy than a general manager, and that and that tends to be something that maybe they can't really work through. And that's where you see some dysfunction along the way. So number one, to answer your question, the fact that this general manager and head coach are on the same page with the type of players they want on the ice and the type of philosophy to win games. That is number one. Number two, I think, is just has been his his ability to be like that chameleon, to, to evolve, to improvise, to, to to always be changing on the go. He he's a, he's observant and he likes to learn. He likes to be um, to be changing with the times. Right? You can't you can't be that same style of coach year after year after year because eventually teams are going to figure out things are going to get stale, messages are going to get old. And then, of course, we all know how that ends up. So his ability to evolve and really change. You know, we, I talked to him yesterday, right when the extension was announced. He talked about how he's had to really work on his communication. He said when he was a player, if a coach didn't like the way you're playing, he would just not play you. He wouldn't talk to you. He wouldn't give you an explanation. He wouldn't communicate to you. He would just say, you're out. And then you'd be sitting there for three, four games in a row not playing, wondering what the heck's going on, all the mind games. He said you can't do that with players now. And, and this is something he's done a really good job of in St. Louis. you got to communicate, especially these young guys. they got to know what's going on. they got to know why they're sitting. they got to know how they can improve. How, how do I get to the position you need me to be? And you have to be a good communicator to get to that point. So it's something when he started in 06 in Philly, I don't know if he was um, as good of a communicator as he, as he is now, but it's something he certainly has worked on. And, and you can see the product and you can see how the players absolutely love his honest, his direct approach, but ultimately uh, that he communicates those issues and, and good things about them all. Joey, final one for you. It looks to be Jordan Bennington getting the start this evening against the New Jersey Devils, and this has been an area that Craig Berube uh, should be applauded for how he's handled this goaltending situation. Do you like the decision to go to Bennington tonight? I do, yeah. I think you can give him, give, give him a shot. I think he's had a good break. I think he's had a little little bit of a reset here, and I think that ultimately um, he's your proven champion. He's the guy that got you to the cup final and, and winning game seven on the road. I mean, that that says a lot, right? So that that's the guy they know can get you there. And I think it's really important for this team to get that goaltender in, in Jordan Bennington back up to the confident level that, that they need him. Because you know Billy is going to stay consistent. He's going to stay good. Uh, but they're going to need two goalies. You can't you can't ride Billy and say, hey, you're our go-to guy. Now go get it. Meanwhile, then you put the confidence of, of Jordan Bennington uh, by the wayside a little bit. And then what happens if Billy starts to slide a little bit? Uh, look at the schedule like I talked about about 10 minutes ago. I mean, it is a condensed schedule. You're going to need both to be very good. You know Billy's locked in. That's the good news. Now you got to get Jordan locked in. And I think you can only get Jordan locked in 
by continuing to give him games and show trust in him and to keep breeding confidence. You know, Jordan uh, is out there tonight against New Jersey Tevils team that's that struggled. No Jack Hughes because of COVID. A uh, great opportunity as the Blues have been so strong on home ice to go out there and perform very, very well with high energy, uh, good, good, good excitement in the home building. You played great here all year. Get Jordan some confidence. Hopefully, get a couple points. He gets some good numbers here tonight, and it's a, a great confidence boot, uh, booster moving forward as they approach the second half of the season. He's Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and the Blues Radio Network. You'll hear him on the call tonight. Puck drop for Blues versus the Devils coming up at 7 o'clock. Alex will have your pregame coverage beginning at 6. Joey, always appreciate the time, man. Good to have you back in the fold. We'll talk to you again next week. That sounds good, boys. You guys have a great week. Same Absolutely. Joe. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Did want to pass along a little bit of news. The uh, trade that we talked about earlier today between the Nets and the Sixers has officially gone down, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. It is going to send Ben Simmons to the Nets, and you're going to have James Harden going to uh, the Sixers. Those are the two big pieces, but uh, the Nets are sending Harden, and it looks like Paul Millsap, to the Sixers, the 76ers in return are sending Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks <laughs> My God. in return to the Nets for the uh, James Harden expiring contract. Yeah, the Nets won that trade. But I'm, I'm not even too. talking I, about the two first-round picks. I agree with that. Nets won the trade. I, I Honestly, if it was Simmons for Harden straight up, I, Harden is a better basketball player than Ben Simmons. I, I don't think you'll find many people that would disagree with that. The fits for both players, I like the fit of Simmons in Brooklyn more mm-hmm. than I like the fit of James Harden in Philadelphia. Yeah. So My guess would be that Brooklyn, if everyone plays, which is tough to say with Irving and Durant, yeah. but if everyone plays, the Nets are going to have a more successful postseason than the 76ers. Pretty wild, but after all of that, after everything that James Harden did to get to Brooklyn, he played 16 minutes or excuse me, 16 games in a total of 364 minutes with Kevin Durant yeah. and Kyrie Irving. The big Those three, three played together, 16 games. 16 games, 364 minutes together in total. Woof. Pretty wild over the course of a full calendar year. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, Rob Manfred is either a liar or he just hasn't looked at a calendar in a while. We'll tell you which one it might be, is which one's more likely coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Rob Manfred, what are we doing, buddy? What are we doing? Running a successful show in Major League Baseball. Yeah, That's like what that. we're doing. So earlier Use today. wrong S word. Rob Whoa. Manfred. Sorry. I mean, it's well played, sir. true. Whoa. Rob Manfred met with the media and he basically said, hey, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. He did wave his arms around like that, too. The lockout is going well. We are ready to negotiate on Saturday. The players and the owners will meet once again. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since there's been any sort of proposal from us to the players. Yeah, we understand that this lockout started on December 1st and we didn't have a proposal to the players until January, even though we said it was a defensive lockout and that would allow us time to negotiate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear all of your complaints, people. But everything is just fine. Here's what Rob Manfred had to say about spring training starting on time. The status of spring training is no change right now. Yeah. Um, 
we're going to have a conversation. Um, Please stop, Rob. With the MLBPA about the calendar. You know, we understand where the calendar is. No, you don't. But um, until we have that conversation and until we see how this um, session on Saturday goes, it's no change. All right. Two weeks from now. When did you get into this? Cardinals versus Astros on February 26th. I can't wait to watch it. It's going to be great. Who do you think is going to be starting for the Cardinals that day? Uh, As they open up their spring training slate in the Grapefruit Shane Bieber. Who? For the Cardinals? Yeah. Damn, they made a big trade. Make a trade. Kyle Schwarber will be leading off. This is laughable. I don't know who Rob Manfred is trying to sell this to. You. This this is insane. Here, I got like, I got you, BK. So well done, Rob, Rob Manfred said it would take, quote, less than a week to get spring training underway, which in and of itself is a ridiculous statement to make, considering there is still arbitration cases that need to be handled. There are players out of the country that do not have their visas ready to go yet because there's no working relationship right now between the players and the owners. There are players that still need to be signed because free agency was put on pause. There are trades that will be need to, need to be made. All of this, he believes, can take place in one calendar week. Okay, sure, Rob. Absolutely. Totally believable. Not. So there's one issue with his statement. The other issue is even if you take that at face value, that it can be done within a week, that means it literally has to have a, ta- a deal on the table this weekend. Saturday, when the pl- when the owners go back to the players, what he's essentially saying is the players are going to accept. Does anybody in this room believe that this weekend the players are going to accept whatever it is that the owners are offering? No. God, no. Then we're going to have spring training delayed. No, we're not. Like, Rob said to be optimistic for spring training to start on time. It's crazy to suggest that much. And then he said that spring training needs to last about four weeks to start the regular season on time, which again means spring training has to start on time. If he believes that they are required to have a four-week spring training, well, that's what the current spring training is set up to be. And if they are not starting that on time, which, spoiler alert, they're not, they're not starting the regular season on time. Then he doubled down and said, quote, I consider missing missing games a disastrous outcome for this industry. You just put so a you're in, on himself. your entire timeline is predicated upon you giving the players such an unbelievable offer this weekend that they accept, which means that within a week, you're able to get things ready and set for spring training, and then you're able to do everything on time. Okay, Rob. Okay. Yeah, I would love to live in that fantasy land that you're living in currently. Everything that he said today was either a lie, Alex, or he was... I don't know. He hasn't looked at a calendar within the last well, month. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty evident that it was a lie. Susan Slusser of the San Francisco San Francisco Chronicle just put a tweet out. As she's got a story with quotes from Scott Boris and Marcus Simeon saying, I think there were a lot of mischaracterizations on some key issues going into this. Didn't Jeff Passan put a tweet out after his press conference today yes. that some of the um, some of the owners had to clarify what Rob Manfred was talking about? Yeah, because he got something flat out wrong. It's, he was talking about the CBT thresholds, which I know all of this ends up going over people's heads because it's it, it's weird stuff that are the not cap manipulations, but the accounting manipulations that the owners have to do. Basically, if you go over X number of dollars on your um, on your payroll in any given year, what are the penalties for doing so? And Manfred said their proposal is that it would stay status quo. It's the same thing that it's been. That is not true. Their proposal, at least what they have sent to the players so far, suggests that there would be extra 
penalties for going over those thresholds. What Rob Manfred is doing is exactly what he did when he made the statement of when it officially went into a lockout, saying we're doing this so we have time to negotiate so we don't miss any games. He's trying to play the card of, oh, look, we're the good guys. We're trying to get this done in all good faith. The problem is now it's out in the public. The players aren't taking the BS anymore. They're not buying the fertilizer from the terrible salesman as, oh, yeah, we're in, we're negotiating in good faith. We're giving you guys a proper offer. I believe that's what he said in his press conference. He, What Rob Manfred doesn't understand, and this is the part that just gets me, it's like I don't think he understands how social media works to where everybody who's involved with these negotiations is giving out quotes of how bad these negotiations are going. Frankly, I can't wait until Saturday when that offer comes in because if they're sitting here saying we're going to give the players an offer in good faith so that we can get this, this, this engine started – and it's going to be like, what, $5 million up from what they negotiated the last time. Like, it's going to be another joke. The other issue that I had with something that Rob Manfred said is, quote, historically, the return is below on owning a team what you would expect if you were to play the stock market. That is not true. Like, it is just factually inaccurate. If you want to go into the numbers, Alex, because I know you're a numbers guy. I'm a huge data nerd. Over the last 20 years, if you were looking at your return on investment in the S&P 500, you would get about three to one. If you were looking at the return for the teams that have sold, it would be about six to one, almost double what the returns are in the stock market. So that is just factually inaccurate. And on top of that, that does not take into account them selling their advanced media rights, in which case every team received like $50 million each. Every owner received that money to do with it what they decided to do. It is just not true that owning a baseball team is a bad investment. And anybody who suggests that it is, is lying to you. Or they have ulterior motives, which is the case for Rob Manfred. What I don't understand about that statement from Rob Manfred is why he would make it publicly. Because fans know that owning a baseball team is, A, valuable, and B, a good investment. Also, the people that own these baseball teams know that. Otherwise, they wouldn't own them. Billionaires are not in the interest. They are not getting into a business because they are losing money. If they start losing money, you know what they do? Sell, sell, sell. And I don't see a whole lot of teams that are up for sale right now because business is booming, baby. They are making money hand over fist. And this idea, this notion that it is going to be impossible for these teams to continue to sustain if baseball essentially just stays on the status quo is laughable. So the comments today for Rob Manfred, in my mind, they did more harm than good because what they did is they showed you publicly what these owners believe privately. Rob Manfred is the mouthpiece for the owners. He's not telling you anything these owners aren't saying privately. He's just making it publicly known now. This is what they truly believe. Whether it's actually right or not doesn't matter. It's like the whole Michael Jordan thing, right? When he heard those comments from uh, one of the coaches, I forgot who it was now, it's escaping me, about how he wasn't going to be able to score on him in the next game. That never actually happened. He wasn't trash-talking Michael Jordan before the game, but he perceived that he was. It was a perceived slight. And that's how these owners basically view everything is 
Yeah, whether it's true or not doesn't much matter. It's a story we're telling ourselves, so we believe it. Like I said, I just can't wait to see what that offer is on Saturday because, uh, I mean, unless there's significant change, this is, I mean, he's already basically put the spotlight on himself by saying we're negotiating in good faith and we want to get this done. And if this if this this proposal that comes to the player's side after a week away is basically the same as it was last time, we're in for a long we're we're in for a long haul of no of no baseball. I, I don't know if you'll see a quote unquote legitimate offer from either side in terms of them really caving in on anything until it actually becomes official that spring training's missed and the idea that the regular season's been missed. Because based on Manfred's comments, it was basically as you said, BK it was we basically got this weekend to get it done. So what's his offer? His offer is going to be they're going to make very, very, very little changes, hoping that the players accept that one. If not, then, of course, that's when things get delayed, and that's when the both sides are really going to have to push because that's when both sides realize that money's going to be lost. Seven weeks from today is opening day. Plenty of time. Only takes a week to get everyone ready for spring training. You need four weeks for spring training. And then a week to get people here. You need a week for getting everybody prepared. You got two weeks. Although I think that's probably closer to two. So let's call it two weeks. You've got one more week before this thing needs to be done. Let's do a poll around the room real quick. No. No. Do we miss games this year? Yes. Not spring training games. Are there games that are missed on the schedule? Are we playing fewer than 162? I I am officially believing that we will not play 162 I don't know if I'm there yet because I know they can say four weeks for spring training. I can see them being like, oh, all we need is three weeks for spring training. I'm not there yet. Give me another week before I'm into games you, being officially you missed. You literally are trying to live longer. You and your optimism Man, around this lockout. Rob Manfred have I, both I had optimist. Since, I've thought since December 2nd they were going to miss games. Like the moment with the lockdown hit, you I said, what? guys, they're so far apart they're going to miss gonna games. You're going to die early then what? because you're not an optimist. Okay, but I'll be right dying early, so I'll take it. <laughs> What's more important? <laughs> me going down with some dignity. And being right. That's what's Six, important. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. We'll play a game of believe it or not coming oh, yes. up next. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. After a depressing segment, like talking baseball. Do you think Rob Manfred's singing this in the meetings right now with the owners? No. Because he's on top of the world after that press conference? No, it made me feel no. join in with us this time? No, I refuse. I'm like the players. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Thank God. Keep it going. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Come on, man. You're like three songs going on right now. <laughs> Okay, I didn't listen to this in the background. Tanner I didn't realize I had the other one potted up when I hit that button. What are you talking about? Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line to get involved in. Believe it or not, let's start out with the obvious, guys. Believe it or not, the Cardinals will start their opening day on time. Uh, I think, n- think you two should try and live a little bit longer, and I'm going to believe it. Four weeks will become three weeks for spring training, and they'll be like, "Yeah, we'll get this in." And then what's the first game? March 31st? At Pittsburgh. See you guys in uh, PNC Park. Yeah, I'll see you there around Flag Day. Yeah. Flag Day? I, I'm, we'll, we'll play in May. We'll, we'll watch baseball in May. Uh, It'll be April. Okay. It'll be March. March I, I think you've I got think, April. I've got May. Tanner's got I would go, go about <laughs> September. Tanner, Tanner said he's going to be playing in August. They're going to play a 60-game schedule again. 
I mean, I wouldn't put Canada's anything past this. rescheduling the, the, the calendar of, oh, well, they're only going to play uh, division games this year. Hey, I got tickets against an interleague team, and I'm afraid that ain't going to happen. So <laughs> pardon me if I'm a little concerned. I, I wouldn't believe that. Believe Six, Rob Manfred. 65780 oh, is the my. air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will sign at least one more player this offseason worth $10 million or more. I'm going to believe this one. I don't think it's going to be the bat like I hope, but I do think that they'll probably spend that money on a bullpen pitcher. So it's interesting. I I was reading Jim Bowden over on The Athletic this morning. He put his piece out on the one thing that each Major League Baseball team should do once things are are returned, right? So he had Ryan Tapera signing for two years, $17 million. Andrew Chafin, two years, $16 million. And Joe Kelly, two years, $17 million. So that's that kind of mid-tier reliever that we've been talking a lot about i think i would be fine with any of those deals as long as it's not three years or longer and you're not paying 10 million dollars or more on an annual basis i think i'd be fine with all three of those guys at that price yeah i wouldn't mind going with so that I'm on believe either. it by the way I, I think that one of those deals is what they do oh i thought we were going 10 million per year no 10, 10 million dollars total. total gotcha then yeah i'll believe that too because i think they'll sign one of those relief arms I don't know if it'll be Schwarber, but I do think it could be one of those relief arms. By the way, I do think it's worth noting he had Schwarber at three years, $54 million. He had Story at seven years, $204 million. Where did and, he have Story going? I didn't uh, see that. Houston, I, did, was I don't remember. It was, was it, it was an AL team. Oh. But, I thought it was Houston. And then Nelson Cruz he had signing for one year and $12 million. <sighs> Too much for an old guy. I would do that in a heartbeat. Too if you told me guy. that the Cardinals, when things returned, they signed Nelson Cruz for one year, uh, $12 million, and they signed Ryan Tapera two years, 17. It's $20 million for this year, basically, for those two guys. I'm all in. I would love that. That, that sounds fantastic to me. I, I would sign up for that today. It's too old. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Uh, guys, believe it or not, Robert Thomas will have at least 60 assists this year. I'm not going to believe this. And I know JR had that as a bold prediction. Saying he's an idiot? No, I'm not oh. saying. You know better than that. I would never call JR an idiot. That's what I heard. I'm just saying it's a bold prediction. And we don't, you know, I, I never make bold predictions. I'm always spot on. So I'm going to say it's just going to be below that. I'm going to say 50 is a. What would you set the over under for him? 55. He's at 27 right now. I put it at 55. Because I mean, everyone, they're going to go through a dry spot. Everyone's going to go through that at some point. So uh, it's. 60 assists means that this guy's going to have to be on pretty much the rest of the season. How many multi multi-point games has he had this year? I think it's only like seven or eight, if I'm not mistaken. So it, that's, a, that's, that's a, quite a few. He's only it, played 37 games. Understandably so, but that's a lot to stay on that pace with. Um, I'm just, I think he's going to be right under that. I think it's, I think 55 is the sweet spot for Robert Thomas, which is a huge improvement from a guy that everyone was trying to trade last year. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to believe it either because I, I think we'll see maybe just a little, as Alex said, he's basically going to have to play just great hockey for the rest of the stretch down the road. There's going to be the dry spells. I can see a little bit of offensive step backs from Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. Not anything where it's like, oh my gosh, what happened to those guys? But just backing off their pace just a little bit. So I'm not going to believe it. I would say probably 50 to 55 is where he'll end up. It's been eight games so far this year with multiple assists. Ten games so far this year with multiple points. Just to mm-hmm. throw that out there. I'm going to believe it. I think he can get to 60 because they finally figured out what they need around him. And I do think you're going to see a little more stability on that line. I think he's going to be paired the rest of the season with at least one of Vladdy or Robert or excuse me, or Jordan Cairo at all times. And we've got those guys on his line. 
it allows him to continue to boost those numbers. So I, I'm going to say I believe it. I think he ends up getting to 60 assists by the end of the season. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not. Guys, believe it or not, Jordan Cairo will get to 35 goals this season. He's at 17 through the first 40 games. Oh, man. 30, he's 18 and what, 38 then? Yeah, 18 and 38. That is a lot, man. I'm not going to believe this one either. I think he gets to 30. I think 30 is what, what he accomplishes, which is a huge improvement for him also. 35, I mean, yeah, that's 18 goals in 38 games. And there's some back-to-backs in there. So I, I just, I think that's a lot. So I'm going to say not believe it but i think if you were to put the over under at 35 i would say he's just going to be under that with about 30 yeah i think i'm not going to believe it either because that is a lot and just that short of a span i don't think i'm going to believe this but i will go out and live and i'll say he'll be a point per game guy yeah so i don't, I believe I don't, he's a I don't point think, per game guy i don't think he'll get to what was the number again 30, 35 35 but i think he'll have the assist to make him a point per game guy i actually agree with that I'm, I'm going to sign up for exactly what Tanner said. I'm not buying that he not believing that he's going to end up getting to the 35 goals, but I think 30 sounds very reasonable mm-hmm. and I would not be surprised at all if he ends up at a point per game pace. I think he could get to 80 plus pretty easily so far uh, the remainder of the season with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kyle. We'll get back into the blues coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Jordan Bennington, it sounds like going to get his shot tonight to be able to re-earn the net. What are we expecting from Bennington tonight? into the second half of the blue season. We'll get to that in 15 minutes, but coming up next, former NFL offensive lineman, Super Bowl champion and CBS sports football analyst, Aaron Taylor joins the show. I've got a few questions for him on the Missouri Tigers. He's a CBS college football analyst. So we'll talk to him about that. And I got to get his thoughts on how, if you are the Bengals, how do you slow down Aaron Donald? That seems like the number one storyline for this game. Aaron Taylor joins us next. Talk about all of that coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we'll talk about what Jordan Bennington needs to show the rest of the year for the Blues to trust him going into the playoffs. But right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. It is Super Bowl week, and that means we are happy to be joined by Aaron Taylor, CBS Sports NFL and college football analyst. We'll get into the Super Bowl with him here in just a little bit, but let's start with this. Aaron, first of all, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. I got to ask you about my Missouri Tigers because Eli Drinkwitz was just able to pull in the best recruiting class in program history. What's your impression been of drink over his first two years at Missouri? Well, it's funny, man. Drink certainly won the press conference and and won over everybody with his quick wit and humor and just being approachable and affable. And I I think going into it, everybody's like, Oh man, here we go again. You know, hunky dory, yuckety yuck. And then they had a pretty good season right out of the gate. It was like, Oh, okay. He's got some things going. Maybe not quite what they wanted last year, but then he gets himself up off the mat again and puts together an impressive recruiting class. I like Drink, man. I'm familiar with him going all the way back to the Boise State days and just who he is as a person, who he is as a football mind. I think he's perfect for the Mizzou Tigers, and I expect without question that the stock is trending up for that program. It's not easy for them where they're located and where they have to recruit to be able to compete on the lines of scrimmage in that conference. When they first came over, 
They won the East a couple different times because they had some wicked dudes coming off the edge that could pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. When that started to go to way, so did Missouri's relevance. And I think Eli Drinkwitz gives them the best chance to get back to where they started when they entered the SEC. What's the next step for them, Aaron? And that second tier in the SEC, I always look at Kentucky and what they've been over the last couple of years. How does Mizzou get back to being there in your mind? either have to have an elite game-changing quarterback, somebody that immediately elevates the team around you. And with the portal being there, with the immediate eligibility being there, with the alumni groups coming in and being able to, to package together NIL deals there, that opportunity can be there. You also need to be sound on the lines of scrimmage. And that's the real challenge, to go from that second tier to the elite tier you want to be Georgia, if you want to be Alabama, if you want to be LSU in 2019, you got to have elite playmakers along the offensive and defensive lines of scrimmage. LSU, there's an argument to be made because their defense was so-so, but because they had Joe Burrow and that great wide receiver core and, and Clyde edwards Elair, they were so elite offensively. They won despite really good offensive line play. They won the Joe Moore Award that year, but an average defense. So, I think their best chance is to get back to kind of the Big 12 roots, if you will, and have an elite game-changing quarterback that can make sure that they've got a puncher's chance in every game because I think it's going to be really difficult to make that next jump and become elite along the lines of scrimmage. Final question on Mizzou that I've got for Aaron Taylor. He's our guest joining us here on 101 ESPN. Aaron, it was announced yesterday that Steve Wilkes decided to take a job as the secondary coach for the Carolina Panthers. So he's going to be moving on. The expectation is that Blake Baker, the former Miami defensive coordinator, he was at LSU this year as their linebackers coach. It sounds like he's likely going to be the next DC at Mizzou. Do you have any familiarity with him? And if so, what what kind of insight can you give to Mizzou fans about what they're going to be getting in Baker as a D.C.? Yeah, to be candid, I don't really about that. Uh, The way this works in my world is if I don't, I immediately get on the phone and start (laughs) calling guys and be like, what can you tell me about this guy? I'll go immediately look at their coaching tree, see where they were, see the guys that we have in common. Then I'll call those guys and ask for an introduction. So I'm not privy to what to expect for Tigers fans, but I know this, like we're in an era now where coaches are going to plug and play and take advantage of new opportunities. But we're also entering into an era where the players can now do that. And this may be a good opportunity to bring up NIL and this animal that we're creating. I think we need to be really careful as a sport to make sure that we don't create a monster because with as easily guys can move and with the money that's at stake and with immediate eligibility, I'm here in L.A., right? Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma, comes down here and brings his quarterback, Caleb Williams, with it. We've got free agency with no rules. So coaches have always been able to move, but now that players are doing it, that to me is something to keep an eye on because we are perilously close to creating something that I don't think is in any of our best interests. Aaron Taylor is our guest here on 101 ESPN, Super Bowl champion with the Packers, former NFL offensive lineman. Aaron, I want to lean on that experience for a second because if you're the Bengals going into this one, how do you slow down Aaron Donald? Run the football, get rid of it quickly, employ your screen game, get Joe Burrow's legs involved, you're going to have to play perfectly on that side of the ball. The Bengals gave up the third most sacks in the NFL this season. A lot of that was on the offensive line, particularly in the interior and on that right side. 
But Joe Burrow also has a propensity to hold on to the football too long, to try to do too much. When you're playing at a game of this magnitude where everything is magnified, you have to take what the teams give you. You have to let the game come to you instead of trying to force it. If you force it, problems happen. That's when you turn the ball over, and those things can snowball on you pretty quick. So what I'm watching early, A, is the one-on-one matchups. How are they resetting the line of scrimmage when it is an obvious passing situation is their pressure. Are they keeping tight ends in? Are they chipping with backs? Are they getting the ball out quickly out of Joe Burrow's hands? Are they throwing swing passes and using that as an extension of the perimeter run game? How early and often and how are they getting Joe Mixon's legs involved? He's the third leading rusher in the NFL. He's a key to this game and them keeping Joe Burrow upright because Joey Burrow is the best chance that this team has to win. He has to be the guy like he's been all season long to get it done, and that's unfortunate because the weakness of that team is their offensive line, and the strength of the Rams is their front seven, so that doesn't bode well for Joey Burrow if they can't get that run game going and stay balanced. A follow-up on Burrow for you. Aaron, what is it about him that makes him so special? You did it at LSU. You you watched that week in, week out, what he was able to do to change the culture within that program. And now he done it, he's done it in two years in Cincinnati to take them to the Super Bowl. How does he do it? I don't know. I think we should probably do a brain scan and see if he's had a, a lobotomy. Like, the, the dude is just unflappable. The bigger the moment, the better he plays, the more the game slows down for him. And he was at his best when his best was needed when he was at LSU, and he's continued that to the NFL. This is a team that won more games this year than they had in the previous three years combined. They've got lightning in the bottle. And I've always believed that the offense, the identity, was a reflection of the quarterback and his poise and Joey Burrow has popped the chill back to Chili Town, man. And there's just something about him. And, and here's some of the things I look for, being in this business, right? I always want to listen to the quality of the question in the postgame interviews and see what the answers are. Well, what I loved about Joe Burrow was that he acted like he had won a, a inter-squad scrimmage and played you know, the first two drives of a preseason game after he won the divisional game and the AFC championship. He's like, yeah, you know, it's good, but we're not going to over-celebrate. It's just on the next week. The entire team sees that, and they reflect that, and that's a big reason why they're here and, in my opinion, have punched above their class because they're following their quarterback, and they're going to go as far as he can take them. Aaron's joining us today on behalf of Same Here Global. I know this is a cause, Aaron, that's for people that want more information. Where can they go to find it? Well, uh, I am working with uh, Same Here Global, which is a global alliance to be able to change how we look at mental health and take it from being either you're sick or not to being a continuum that we're all on in some form or fashion, particularly two years after this global pandemic of COVID. So, If folks are interested and want to share their own hero story and and read about what other people went through, what they did about it, what it's like now, or pick up tools that they can use to help themselves or a family member, uh, go to sameheareglobal.org or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at samehere underscore global because it is time that we nip this thing in the bud and stop treating it like it's this taboo animal and get back to living and enjoying these lives we've been given we've lost too many i've lost eight guys to completed suicide i'm tired of it it's unnecessary and i and same here global want to be part of that solution
Aaron, it's a worthwhile cause. Thanks so much for sharing that with our audience. Same here, global.com, where people can go to find more information. Appreciate the time, man. Thank you. That is Aaron Taylor joining us here on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks for him joining us today. I enjoyed his thoughts on uh, what Eli Drinkwitz has done at Mizzou and how they've got to build up both lines of scrimmage. It's obviously been a priority for them this offseason. I think he's right. If you're if you're the Bengals, basically, it's okay. You hope that everything goes well for you against Aaron Donald, but then it's just pray and, and hope that Joe Burrow is able to make some plays the way that he did against Kansas City. Chris Jones was all over him. He just found a way to get out of it more often than not. We'll continue that conversation with Matt Burke, another former offensive lineman, coming up at one thirty. But next, we got to get back into the Jordan Bennington conversation. He's getting his shot to shine right now. Is he going to be able to capitalize on it? We'll talk about it next on one hundred one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by Matt Burke, former NFL offensive lineman coming up in about 10 minutes. Want to get his thoughts on how if you are the Bengals, how do you slow down this Rams defensive line? I think that is the matchup that will ultimately determine the outcome of the game on Simple Sunday. Or mediocre. We'll get into that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, the big news today, of course, is the Craig Berube contract extension. Something that's gone a bit under the radar, though, for the Blues is that Jordan Bennington was the first goaltender off of the ice today, which seems to suggest or on the ice rather seems to suggest he's going to be the the starter tonight in net for the Blues as they take on the Devils, a game that you'll hear right here on 101 ESPN with pregame coverage starting at six puck drop at seven Alex, what do you want to see from Jordan Bennington tonight as they get back in action for the second half of their season well uh, the first thing I want to see from Bennington is just a lot more confidence in between the pipes and I think a lot of that is going to benefit him with his time off and the work that he's been able to put in with David Alexander Um, and I think a lot of it is going to be focusing in on those quote-unquote soft goals if you're going to label it them Uh, the goals that we saw against the Toronto Maple Leafs the goals that we saw back against the Pittsburgh Penguins the goal that you're sitting there going should have had that one even if he is giving up three four or five goals you got to make that important save. So confidence is going to be. I prefer not to have the three, well, four, or five. You know goals what? Either, I would as well. But hey, a win's a win in my book. How about a game without three or more? Team stat, apparently. But look, you, you want to see confidence from Jordan Bennington. You want to see uh, his composure in net rather than skating back and forth from pipe to pipe. What Ville Husso has done so well looked like he's just always in the right place at the right time. The other thing I want to see it, it ties in with Jordan Bennington but I want to see the team play better in front of them as well. And I know I'm the guy that blames the team before I blame the goaltender, but you look at that Calgary Flames game, they weren't weren't at their best. You look at that Toronto Maple Leafs game, they weren't at their best, where Bennington, yes, he gave up six goals, but you also have to look at the defense. So I'm looking for the team in front of him to play a lot stingier in front of the net, but it comes down to Bennington making those confident saves in between the pipes. Yeah, I, I was willing to, for a while, excuse his performance based on the way that players were playing in front of him, but then when you see the other guy performing the way that Huso did, the way that other guys that just came up literally for a game or two performed as well. It, it's hard for me to look exclusively at the defense and the players in front of them. It is a team game, but eventually you're going to need that goalie to be able to make that big save. And that's something that Bennington just hasn't done enough. In the last two months now, Jordan Bennington has started 14 games. He is 5-7-2 and two in those games, and he has an 883 save percentage. That's just not good enough, man. He's got to be better than that. So my biggest thing is I want to see what he's been working on 
because he's now had he the last time that he started a game was January 24th. We are two weeks, more than two weeks removed from the last time that we saw Benner get a start in net for the Blues. What have you been doing with that time? I know he's been working on on a lot of different things to shore up what he's what he is as a goalie right now, because it was clear he just did not look confident in net. I'm very interested to find out what that looks like. And I am really glad that Barubi gave him this first start. I think that's a show of confidence because we all knew and we continue to believe that Jordan Bennington is going to be a big part of why this team wins a Stanley Cup if they end up getting there. Doing this now sets the tone for what the second half is going to need to be. Now, if he fails, if it goes poorly against a team like the Devils, uh, that will raise more questions than it brings answers. But I I am hopeful. I truly do believe, given the coaching staff that they have, I think that they will find a way to be able to get the best version of Bennington down the stretch. Yeah, and I think if you're going to hone in on something to watch, it's going to be the glove hand because that's where Toronto uh, kind of directed their shots and that's where he got beat. And then the same with the Calgary Flames game. So uh, you're going to be focusing in on that. And I think a lot of the time that he had off was able to work with David Alexander and get yourself right. But what I think is going to be really interesting is how they move about this. Because if Bennington performs well tonight, it would not surprise me if Ruby goes right back to him on Saturday. Because what you want to do is you want to build the confidence back up of your goaltender you know Ville Husso has been good all season long you know he's going to perform that way when he gets the call but you got to get Jordan Bennington to that level so you might see them ride Jordan Bennington for a little bit here in February if he plays well because you don't have the back-to-backs and you know for a fact that both guys are going to have to be used in March and April I think I would still go to Husso on Saturday just to get him that game on on home ice because the next time that you'll play on home ice after Saturday is not until February 25th so you got about two weeks off from home ice uh, you go on a little bit of a road trip there I would probably go to Huso there just because he's been so excellent here in St. Louis, but it will have nothing to do with not believing in Jordan Bennington. I think I would tell him after the game tonight, hey, you're going to be back in net on Tuesday for us in Ottawa. And that that is nothing against what you did. We want to make sure we get Huso an opportunity here at home with the way that he's been playing, and we're going to get you right back out there on Tuesday. And then maybe you go back to Bennington at that point on Thursday in Montreal. But I think that's probably the way I would set it up. I would not be surprised, though, if they go with the setup that you're talking about where they do decide, you know what, it's in our best interest to get Jordan Bennington his confidence back, and that's more important than having Huso get an opportunity on home ice. Yeah, and this is the perfect time, too, to get him as many reps as possible because think about it, he really has not played much in the month of January in terms of his struggling and the yep. amount of games that they didn't have. And you don't, Should be fresh at a minimum. You don't have a back-to-back in the month of February. So, I mean, you're obviously going to play Huso at some point, but when you have these games, the one that I'm going to be really curious about is how the team performs in Canada and who the goaltenders go yeah. with there because the team obviously does not like playing in Canada, but... I mean, honestly, I thought it would be maybe a 50-50 in February, but if Bennington performs well, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets seven out of every 10 starts. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon. I'm Brandon Guiley, rather. We'll get sure? We'll get into some questions and uh, some of the comments that we heard from Doug Armstrong earlier today in 15 minutes as we get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, former NFL offensive lineman, all-pro center, Matt Burke joins the show to help us preview this Super Bowl matchup between the Bengals and the Rams next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It is 
Super Bowl week, and that means we have the pleasure of being joined right now by Matt Burke, former NFL offensive lineman. The man was a six-time Pro Bowler. He was the 2011 Walter Payton Man of the Year, and he won the Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. So he knows a little bit about what this week is like. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Matt, we appreciate the time as always, my man. How you How you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. And I, I mean, I think I'm doing better than you guys because you guys once again got to watch the Rams play in the Super Bowl. That that can't be easy. Matt, you, you didn't have to bring that part. Yeah, I was up. Just say, thanks we, for rubbing that in. We Matt. were going to focus on the Bengals side of things with you. You know, <laughs> how, how do you block Aaron Donald? How do you go about no, winning I, this game? And now here you are rubbing it in. Come on, man. No, my my, my wife says I'm not very sensitive, so I was trying to be sensitive to your needs. I'm, maybe, maybe that's why she says I never say the right thing. Yeah, that, that might have a little something to do with it. In all seriousness, Matt, what, what do you make of the way that the Rams got here? Because you look at the way that they built their team, and they are as all-in as any team that I can remember in recent years. Do you like this form of a build? Well, I mean, now they're playing in the Super Bowl, I guess I do. But, you know, you, if you think about it, if you feel like, okay, right now we have a, we're only a piece or two away, you know, why not? Why not go and, and mortgage the next couple years of your draft to get those two or three missing pieces and take a shot versus, you know, if we stand pat, we're probably, you know, a 9-8, and 10-7 and seven team, and maybe we got a chance. I mean, in today's NFL, when you got guys like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, I mean, if you think you got a chance, you might as well just, you might as well go all in. Now, sounds great today. In two years, when the Rams are at the bottom of the NFC West, we'll see. We'll see how the fans feel. But uh, right now, I guess I guess you got to say uh, good for them. Well, and that's where I was going to go next, Matt, because we had this question a couple of days ago, asking if it's considered a failure for the Rams if they don't win a Super Bowl. Well, I think it's kind of you know you sort of think it's it's kind of a failure for everybody, but for the Rams, if they don't, you know they're going to say, well, it was all for naught because you know for the next it seems like for the next few years we're gonna we're gonna stink. You know we're gonna we're gonna have to totally totally rebuild um so i mean and the other thing which i'm kind of interested to see unfold on sunday listen i think the rams are the better team i don't know how the Bengals are going to block the rams d line um but if if somehow the Bengals keep it close or you know if they make a play you know ball bounces funny and the Bengals are hanging around the Rams, it'll be interesting to see how the Rams deal with the pressure because they know, they know they're the favorite. They know the owner and the GM and, the, and everybody is all in on this year, and they're supposed to win. And this is the, this is the psychology of sports. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the game is close, how Matthew Stafford and company handle that. We're talking with Matt Burke, former NFL offensive lineman, Super Bowl champion with the Ravens back in 2013. Matt, I wanted to ask you about that team and if there are any similarities in your mind with what we've watched this postseason from the Bengals, because at least from the outside looking in, the Ravens in 2012-2013 surprised me when I saw them get to the Super Bowl, when you guys were able to take down the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Much like how the Bengals, I, I didn't see them being able to take down the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. Do you draw any similarities with the paths between those two teams? Oh, I think I think you're spot on. Yeah, we were. I think we were the four seed. Um, we beat the Colts at home, a young Andrew Luck Colts team first round. But then we were going to Denver, Peyton Manning, uh, they beat us a couple weeks earlier in our own stadium. They were up 35 nothing on us in December. So nobody gave us a chance in that game. Uh, kind of had a miraculous play at the end of the game to tie it, win in double overtime. 
and then go to Foxborough and beat Brady. Belichick. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'll tell you this. I, I know what the Bengals are feeling is you just kind of – you sort of feel like this is your destiny, you know? You, when bad things happen in the game, you're kind of like you're all right with it because you've overcome adversity before. You feel really good about your team. You don't, you don't panic. And going back to what I was just saying, there's no pressure on you. Nobody's expecting you to win. So you can go to Tennessee. You can be down 21-3 at Arrowhead and come back. You, you're never going to be pressing and then saying, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh, no. Um, and so I, I, I think there's a lot of similarities, and I know exactly what – I know exactly how those Bengals are feeling. You, 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 they almost feel, I know Joe Burrow doesn't say it, but it's they, almost like they're kind of playing with house money at this point, so they can just go out there and cut it loose. What have you made of Joe Burrow, Matt? I mean, he, you know, he comes into the league last year as a top draft pick, and you know, it looks like he's helping the Cincinnati team turn it around a little bit, and then goes out with an ACL. But to come back this season and, and have the season that he has had, I mean, you have to be pretty impressed with a young quarterback like this. The mo- yes, coming back from the injury and the way he's played is fantastic. But, you know, whenever a team hires a new coach, the coach always comes in. He talks about changing the culture, right? And the Bengals, they're the Bengals. They've had a really bad culture <laughs> for a really long time. And for Joe Burrow to come in, and some people say he's cocky, some people say confident, but he came in and from day one, he was like, he didn't, he didn't buy into that. Um, he didn't, I guess he knew he could play in the NFL, but not everybody knew. Um, and he came in, he's like, no, we're not like you, you listen to his press conferences. You listen to the things he says, he thinks they should go out and win every week. And it's just one, a coach can't change the entire culture. You need players to buy in. And it's normally veteran players who help, uh, help, you know, build that culture and have it permeate throughout the whole team. But here's a rookie quarterback who, along with the coach is like, no, no, we're not, we, we don't, we're not the Bengals of old. We don't, we don't think we're going to lose. We don't, we, we can play with anybody. We expect to win. Um, and so I think that's the most incredible thing for a, for a guy with two years quarterback in the NFL to play as well as he's played, but what he's, but, but the mindset that he's brought to that team. What amazed me most about what he did against the chiefs was Chris Jones dominated that game from the interior. He was getting consistent pressure and somehow Burrow was just able to elude it more often than not. I don't know if it's going to be the exact same way or even maybe to a greater degree this week with Aaron Donald, who's one of the best players I've ever seen. But if you were in charge of the Bengals this week, Matt, and you had to come up with a plan of you can't stop him, but how to slow down Donald and how to slow down Vaughn Miller, what do you do? So I think pass protection always starts inside out. So assuming that the Rams are going to most of the time rush four because they can get pressure with just four, meaning you got the guard, two guards in a center to block the two D tackles. One of those D tackles is Aaron Donald. So if they don't blitz, no matter where the protection's supposed to go, that free guy, the center normally, he's got to go help on Aaron Donald. And then you take your chances on the, on the edge. You know, you can ship a back out or line up a tight end because what Joe Burrow has proven is that he can get away from one guy most of the time. And that, and that you know, when, like, like when a D lineman wins, it's like, oh, no. But if the quarterback can get out of that, now all the stress is on the secondary and big plays happen. He can, he can, he can, he can get away from one guy. There's not many quarterbacks that can get away from two or three if there's a edge and there's push up the middle. So I would secure the inside, take your chances on the edge, and, uh, you know, hope Joe, Joe Burrow's got a little magic left in him. <laughs> 
We're talking to Matt Burke for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN, former NFL offensive lineman. Matt, you played from 98 to 2012. You had an incredible NFL career. You were right around the same age as Tom Brady, who just announced <laughs> that he's going to retire from the NFL, and he's been playing the last 10 years. Can you put into context for us what it has been like to watch Brady's career, especially over the last 10 years, but really throughout your career as well? And do you have a, a favorite Tom Brady story, whether it was going up against him or, or just something that stands out in your mind? I don't know if there's enough superlatives or any any that have not been used to describe you know Tom Brady and and everything that that he was as a player. You know personally, I respect the heck out of Tom Brady because he didn't have the biggest arm. We've seen his combine videos. He wasn't the fastest. Maybe maybe he's the best looking. We'll give him that. But um, you know it was just it was just work ethic, determination, um, you know will that, that that made him the greatest quarterback of all time. So uh, you know kudos to him. I mean, I'd say, you know, when, when we beat Belichick and Brady in the AFC championship game at Foxborough in 2013, that was as satisfying a, a win as I've ever been a part of because we knew we just won a game to go to the Super Bowl and just beat the greatest head coach and the greatest quarterback of all time. But that's not my favorite story. My favorite Tom Brady story is this is like 2001 maybe 2002. It was the year that the Patriots missed the Super Bowl during their first run. And Tom Brady actually went to the Pro Bowl. Um, and then back then, everybody went to the Pro Bowl if you weren't playing in the Super Bowl. And it was uh, after the game. I was at the hotel bar. It was, it was still early. And uh, I was getting a drink. And then he walks up. He's like, hey, Matt Burke, I'm Tom Brady. And I thought, well, yeah, I, I knew that. Um, and he said, he said, hey, I, wa- I want to buy you a drink. Uh, us, us sixth rounders got to stick together. <laughs> And so anybody that buys me a drink, especially if you're Tom Brady, you're okay in my book. <laughs> That's tremendous. <laughs> That's I love awesome. that. And Matt, final thing that we've got for you, I know you're joining us today on behalf of Super Squares. How do, how do people find out more information about this? Over the last couple of years, I've started getting more into the squares instead of uh, some of the other things that you can do on, on the, the day of the big game. But what are you going to be doing on Sunday? Tell us about these Super Squares that you're playing. Yeah, you can download the free Super Squares app. We're not trying to get anybody to gamble. We're not going to try to sell you a mortgage. It's all this. We have the biggest prize pool of any free-to-play game. It's all funded by our advertisers. And it's like football squares on steroids. You get 16 sets of numbers during the course of the game. We make a few predictions like final score before. And that way you can play against everybody in the entire country. You can win, you win huge prizes. But the other thing we're doing is, this football squares phenomenon that takes place on Super Bowl Sunday, if you Google it, nobody knows where this game came from, who invented it, how long people have been playing, but like everybody plays it on Super Bowl Sunday. So we're asking anybody with a football square story out there, go to supersquares.com and share with us as we try to piece together <laughs> the history of this American phenomenon. That's tremendous. People can find it. Supersquares.com is where you go. You can download the app. It's easy to use. Matt, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll talk with you again soon. You too, guys. Thank you very much. Absolutely. That's Matt Burke joining us here on 101 ESPN. Can you imagine that? You're Matt Burke, your former sixth-round pick. You're just, at that point, three, four years into your career. And Tom Brady, the guy that's just won a couple of Super Bowls early on in his career, comes over. He's like, hey. I want to buy you a drink. Us six-round picks got to stick together. Be incredible. I would brag about 20 that. 20 years later, for now the he's rest finally of my retiring. Life. I would oh, brag 100%. about that for the rest of my life. Tom oh. Brady 
bought me a drink. Along with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Huge thanks to Matt Burke for joining us today. Coming up next, with the BK and Ferrario Rewind earlier today, we were able to catch up with Blues President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong. We'll give you the three things you need to know from that interview next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. So presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We were able to catch up with Doug Armstrong, the president of hockey operations for the Blues. Talk to Joey Vitale. We were joined by Aaron Taylor and Matt Burke, two former NFL offensive linemen to preview this year's Super Bowl. Let's look back a little bit, though, at our conversation, Alex, for today's rewind with Doug Armstrong, because I thought there were three big takeaways for me. Let's start with the big one. You asked him if the Contract for Barubi is indicative of the Blues believing that this window has been extended or if that can even be a part of it. And he said, yeah, it is. But also our our window had already been extended because guys like Thomas and Cairo have become the players that they expected them to be. I thought that was a really insightful answer from from Army. And I, I guess it's something that we've talked about before. But hearing that from the head man himself, I, I think it does tell you a little bit about, hey, we said it was a five year window because they've been able to develop some of these guys internally, it might actually end up being closer to eight to 10 years as the window. Well, and that's, that's the fascinating part of this because you would imagine Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo are going to at least be blues for the next five to six years, uh, pending that contract extension. And if you look at that, you got Braden Shen locked up for what is it? The next six seasons, Pavel Buchnevich is here for three more years after this one. Brandon Sod's got four more years after this one. And your top three defensemen are locked in and Falk Krug and Pareko along with your goaltender. So you're core was in place but it really was indicative of who was going to be the Vladimir Tarasenko moving forward and now you've got Jordan Cairo who could be the next Ryan O'Reilly well that might be Robert Thomas so the fact that you have those two guys that are turning into a top winger and a top centerman gives you that opportunity to make sure that you have the right head coach locked up so that you can keep that longevity going the other thing you asked about was when he looks around the league right now how does he view this Blues team and he mentioned hey you know I watched the Minnesota Wild the other night and the way that they are playing physically I think is one thing that we've got to be able to find a way to match he mentioned the Predators in that scenario as well we were talking about hey if you get matched up against Calgary for example in the playoffs that's a team that's going to play with some physicality how do you match that it's really the fourth line that he he identified as being hey we've got to be able to have that as an identity line and he specifically mentioned Logan Brown Dakota Joshua and Oscar Sundquist as guys that can bring that physicality to the ice I'm very curious to see if that's something we we end up seeing as a line. Th- those three together on that fourth line at some point. It won't be tonight. Or at least that's not my expectation. But I bet you over the course of the next few weeks, you'll be able to see that line together at some point. Yeah, I mean, to me, Clem Costin's kind of a mainstay on that fourth line for you right now. And the same can be said about Oscar Sundquist. The question is, how long does Tyler Bozak stay in that spot? And if you look at it, two guys that he mentioned, Dakota Joshua, Logan Brown, both play the center position. Uh, 
Logan Brown doesn't bring the physicality that Costin and Sunquist provide. Obviously, Dakota Joshua does. Tyler Bozak doesn't bring the physicality, but what he is is he's a reliable player late in a hockey game. I think the key to that fourth line is going to be who can get to the game faster that Craig Brewery wants to see, and it kind of re- re- relies upon Clem Costin because if Clem Costin can't be that player to rely on late in a third period, then you might see a Logan Brown get a chance there or Dakota Joshua get a chance there. But if they outplay Tyler Bozak, that's also where you're going to see one of those guys hop in. Final thing that Doug Armstrong mentioned, the three things you need to know from our interview with him earlier today. I asked, hey, what does an ideal partner look like? For Colton Pareko, he's not going to tell us specifically who the guy is. Oh, that they're targeting. Yeah, for for a trade. But Only. if you were to build a perfect partner for Pareko, what would that look like? And he was, let's be honest, a little wishy washy. He, he brought up, hey, you know, you'd like to have that guy that's big, sturdy, strong right next to him. So you can have that shutdown pairing. But yeah, also, if you need to. You could go with a guy like Tory Krug. You could go with a smaller puck mover that's next to Colton Pareko. And it made me wonder, Alex, I, I'm starting to, I'm interested to find out what they view as the future for Scott Perunovich. Do they view him as a top four defenseman or do they view him as a guy that's probably best as your third pairing the way that Vince Dunn was previously? If they think he's going to be in the future top four and they think Krug can potentially play with Pareko, maybe we'll see Perunovich paired with Falk and that in 2023 ends up being your pairing. I do still think they need to go out and trade though for that guy right now. I, I, I think right now, I think you're going to get a guy who's only here for a couple of months and then you move on from it because Mikkel and Perunovic seem to be pieces that are in and expected to be a part of your six defensemen for right now. That's why I'm out on the Jacob Chikrin store. You're going to have to trade a lot of your prospects. I think they're going to want to trade draft picks and keep the prospect pool as is right now, which makes sense for a Giordano or a Zdeno Chara. For that full interview, you can check it out on the podcast podcast page 101ESPN.com the free 101ESPN app for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. we will talk to you guys tomorrow at 11am right here on 101ESPN the fast lane coming up next you've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101ESPN